This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, friends. Happy Thursday to you. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show right here on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. I hope you're uh, having a great day so far. You know, you only get so many days on this great big ball of mud, and you got to make sure you're taking advantage of every single one of them. Today, uh, we'll continue the journey with you, helping you get the latest and greatest information, hopefully also giving you, uh, you know, some news you need to know, some news just is here for fun. A little update, help you see how you're doing in comparison to the rest of humanity. That's what I like about some of our empty news segments is I realize, man, I don't have it so bad. You I, really don't. No, I mean, I think, I'm actually, I, I think maybe better than some of our other stories, I mean, that show that some people aren't thinking out there. Have you ever bitten into a burger and found some sort of a foreign object, like maybe a rodent? No. Then you're doing just fine. <laughs> then relax, man. That's a hint of things to come on the show. Your life is full of excitement. Somebody bit into a hamburger or something and they had a rodent, huh? Wasn't a hamburger. Uh, Some sort of a chicken sandwich. Uh, My wife bit into a burrito once and there was a piece of a metal whisk. Ooh, really? Yeah, we got a free meal out of it. I was a little free mad meal. that I didn't get my meal for free out of it. Yeah, you should have but, had like a year pass to this establishment. Well, they closed soon later. So I wonder why. Yeah. Strange. Wow. Okay. So that's a little, just a little taste of what's coming up um, today. Also, by the way, we are going to be talking about right handies, left handers, whatever we're calling them. Lefty righties. Are you a lefty or a righty? I think we're all righties, aren't we? Yep. Yeah. I know a lefty, though. <sighs> do you? I'm yeah. married to a lefty. As and am I. So do you think lefties have an advantage in the world or a disadvantage? I, I, I used to believe that people thought they, were, they had disabilities. Talking to my wife, she says it's difficult because she lives in a right-handed world. That's true. So everything is built. And so she's had to actually learn how to do things right-handed just to kind of deal with it because there's no left-handed option. Mm. I think they make a big deal out of it when it's not a big deal in the first place. However, when my wife is trying to train my daughters to be left-handed, that's when I get a little upset. Why? I don't know. What if it, What if it, I told you that it may make your daughters, um, if they're a lefty, they're, they're, they may think faster than righties? I shouldn't say upset. He's like, there's a line and you crossed it. You, there's a line in the hemispheres of the brain and you crossed it. Yeah. We'll, we'll let's talk n- about let's it. not play God here. Yeah. 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 Great point. God's up there like, make him a lefty. I love when you make hear, him a righty. When you hear people <laughs> take a stand on things, and you're like, really? That's yeah. where you're going to. Okay. That's <laughs> where you're drawing the line. <laughs> Give him an innie belly button, not an outie button. The right-handed fist is coming down on the table now. <laughs> well, today we've got uh, some interesting insight into left-handers. Um, they, they may have huge advantage, uh, not huge, but advantages in sports, in how fast they process, how fast right. they think, in decision-making. My wife is smarter than me. Oh, well, yeah. So no there's brainer. that. I have seen in sports where where in say basketball or someone who comes down the lane and all of a sudden they switch to the left hand. Yeah. It just confuses everybody. Right. Because you're not, everyone's you're used to used guarding to, the right, I guess. Yeah. Or in football where like a quarterback, 
will be able to throw left-handed. Yeah. And a Baseball guy's, pitchers, lefties. Yeah, and people just aren't used to that, and there's like little nuanced things that give them a slight advantage that mm. way because they're different. But are those advantages just because the proportion of lefties to righties is like 15% to 85%? Yeah. So if you're not used to it, that's one problem. Another thing is people – lefties may just process and do things faster in their brain. Mm -hmm. Their brain just may work faster, which means they're leaving all the righties in the dust. But I do believe this book was written by a left-hander. Oh, boy. So there might might be some inset bias here. Totally. We'll have to ask. Totally. Also, next week we'll be talking about uh, those that have any belly buttons and those that have Audi belly buttons. We'll have somebody that will be coming to talk to us. Really? He, he's an Audi. Oh, and really? And he's going to talk to us about the benefits of the Innie versus Audi. You know why the Audi's better probably? Why? It's a place where you can like hang clothes. Really? Like you don't want to wrinkle your suit jacket? Oh, so you just hang it you while just... you're getting dressed? Yeah. Hook it up. While you're ironing the pants? <laughs> you also okay. get better gas mileage on the Audi. Where do you put your keys? Yeah, great point. <laughs> where did I leave my keys? Have you checked your navel? Not yet, honey. Okay, we got a lot to talk about. So much uh, fun. Plus, uh, boy, oh boy, oh boy, President Trump is, he's getting beat, he's, they're beating him up. Wrong. Right. And this morning he's attempting to fight back. Right. We'll see how that goes. Yeah. Let's get to the headlines with Terry South, find out what's going on around the rest of the country. More than 1,000 people attended the memorial service for Heather Heyer of Charlottesville, Virginia on Wednesday with friends and relatives recalling her passion for justice and helping others. Heyer 32 was killed Saturday when a white nationalist demonstrator rammed a crowd of counter-protesters with his car. She wanted equality, and in this issue of the day of her passing, she wanted to put down hate, Heyer's father, Mark Heyer, said in his eulogy. He went on to say, and for my part, we just need to stop all this stuff and just forgive each other. I think that is where the Lord would want us to do. It's just love one another. Heather's (laughs) mother said, we don't all have to die. We don't all have to sacrifice our lives. They tried to kill my child to shut her up. Well, guess what? You just magnified her. That's actually so true, huh? Now she's got this bigger voice. That's, I mean, I guess that's one benefit of such right. a tragedy. On Wednesday, President Trump's Strategic and Policy Forum decided to disband. A member of the group compromised of, of, tom, of top business leaders led by Blackstone CEO Stephen Schwarzerman told CNBC that the breakup was due to Trump's response to the weekend's white nationalist rally in Charlottesville. Trump was slow to directly condemn the white nationalist, and he has repeatedly blamed both sides for the rally's violence. As our members have expressed individually over the past several days, intolerance, racism, and violence have absolutely no place in this country and are an affront to core American values, the members said in a statement to CNBC. They did not say also that they probably were getting shareholders coming down on them and they were oh. worried about stock price. And so, so let we're me get, get this out. straight. So he forms these these uh, business co- coalitions, these teams, these committees. Yeah. They were, do you remember they were sitting at a big table? They're all sitting around the table What's in one image. What's interesting, these two that he disbanded have never met. Oh, really? The one that you saw was like the technology leaders. Yeah. There was a like a trucking business type forum he had. But these two groups, I don't think they officially had ever met. So why did he put them together? So they would be able to meet and have this meeting of the minds when it comes to business. But then so many of them are leaving and, and, no, and they making a, comments they that had he disbanded. Meet, they had meetings where they all were like around for a photo, but where they actually yeah. came in, sat down at a table, and actually got to work. It wasn't just a photo op, but actually a session of, th- of thought. Never actually happened. But they 
dis- they, they disbanded. Well, actually, they started over the last couple of days announcing that we're going to leave the council. We're getting rid of it. And then Trump said, for every CEO that leaves, I have five more that want on. I got five more. And then the next day, I've decided I'm just going to go ahead and just We don't even these. need this committee. <laughs> so it's kind of... It's kind of like, I'm taking my toys and leaving. Well, someone put it as, I'm breaking up with you. No, I'm breaking up with you. <laughs> that kind of relationship. Okay. So. <laughs> All right, that's one way to lead. Um, in some sad news, search and rescue crews continue to look for five missing crewmen Wednesday afternoon after a downed U.S. Army helicopter was reported off the coast of Hawaii uh, the night before, a spokesman for the U.S. Army said. The search reported late Tuesday local time, mm. uh, about two miles west of Kenia Point, the westernmost tip of the land, uh, one island of Oahu. Uh, it will continue into uh, today, I guess. The spokesperson said this is still a search and rescue. We're here to bring our soldiers home. So two helicopters taking a routine nighttime training mission five miles offshore. One of the helicopters saw the other one. Uh, they lost visual and radio contact with the first one. So they just lost contact and they uh, thought it fell into the ocean. So they're looking for them. Uh, and finally, yes, Atlanta Falcons. Oh, yeah. You know, the NFL. Yeah. They have a new stadium. Excellent. Have you seen this stadium? No. It's a Mercedes-Benz stadium. It has a really cool roof. Ooh, does it open up? It opens in a very unique way. Now, hold on. Is this in the same location as their last stadium that was kind of, I think not, it was in the middle of the city. Not sure. Yeah, okay. I'm not sure if it's the same place or a different location. It will have a Chick-fil-A location in it. Excellent. So people are excited. But watch out for little foreign objects. Yeah. It's, and uh, it has to do with Chick-fil-A, actually. Oh, it does? Mm-hmm. Oh, bummer. In fact, it does. I remember that, yeah. Bummer. It says, well, football fans are looking to scoop up a tasty sandwich at a game are going to be out of luck. The fast food chain is closed on Sundays. And all but one of Atlanta Falcons' regular season games is on a Sunday. Hold, hold on. Hold, hold yeah, yeah, yeah. Go ahead, go ahead. So why would you buy the real estate that only is open on Sunday the, if you never are going to be open on Sunday? The stadium is open at other times. Oh, okay. Right? They have concerts. It's an equal opportunity They stadium. have all kinds of Monday through Saturday activities at the stadium where they will be open. Okay, that But on sense. Sunday, where the biggest show for the stadium is, it's closed. Okay. In its place will be some other fast food thing will be there where they sell french fries or something the company's ceo or founder is very religious yeah i mean which you you that you have to respect that that's sure it's great so they will not make an exception for the nfl and a lot of people are like what was the point of that you know what maybe more of us ought to not make an exception for the nfl Eh, maybe i'm just not i don't want to take on the nfl i'm just saying maybe some of us just need to say hey i'm not gonna go there on sunday Hmm. but doesn't chick-fil-a sound good right now Sure does. They have breakfast sandwiches now, too. Tell me about them. Well, they have chicken in them. Chicken breakfast sandwich? Yeah, go figure. It's like an egg McMuffin, but with chicken instead so, of bacon or, or pork. I think they have one that has chicken and egg on it. Nothing wrong with that. It seems like you're you're kind of taking both sides of the life cycle there. Mm. <laughs> that, that sound there, I mean, I know I make that sound a lot. Yeah, you do. But it... There's that sounds sound. very similar to that sound. <laughs> Eat more chicken. I don't know if I like. I don't know. I don't know if I like that sound. Hmm. Um, okay. So Donald Trump. I don't know if you're paying the, attention the, to all. Of apparently, this. he has triggers. Really? Yeah. There's a, there's a report in Politico. Something that sets him off. It says several officials and advisors said the president has certain triggers that often lead to him making decisions that later require damage control. The triggers include. Suspicion that someone is lying to him, criticism, and being told what to do. Oh, wow. 
So do you think the Democrats know about these? Probably by the, now. Then all you'd have to do is go push the triggers, right? Go I, keep I, triggering. I, I read that and went, well, yeah. Someone's lying to him, criticism, or being told what to do. Yeah. Yeah, I mean. I think anyone would bristle yeah. at those sorts of things. D- don't you think that But he's... maybe he just lights his hair on fire and goes nuts. Who knows? Yeah. You know, figuratively speaking. Of we, we Didn't talked... Michael Jackson do that too? Yeah, it was a Pepsi oh, commercial. Oh, that was a bad day. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Did you hear how he put it out? Pepsi? Coke? No. Beat it. He just oh. beat it. <laughs> oh, yeah. <clears throat> Anywho. That uh-huh. was the new PSA in schools throughout the beat country it. too. Yeah. Instead of just stop, drop, and roll. Yeah. You're just supposed to beat it and not wear a lot of hair product. You were, you were saying. I just wanted to get the triggers out there. That's, I think that, that's a really good idea. Uh, who's Hope Hicks? She was his special communication assistant. She sat outside his office, oh, yeah. reported directly to him, didn't have anything to do with the communication department, right. but she let people into the office. She was, the, she, was like the, she was the gatekeeper. Yeah, sort of. Kind of an assistant, but kind of a special projects assistant. But didn't report to the chief of staff or anybody else in the building, just Trump. Well, apparently she may become the senior, the new communications director. Yeah, interim. She's already a senior communications advisor. Yeah. So now she may be the communication director. For the moment, but they don't think she's going to keep the job. Well, duh. No, no, no. They think they're actually going to hire somebody else. She's just in there for the moment. Nobody oh. keeps the job for that long in this presidency. Wasn't there a day when people used to just rush and clamor to get oh, yeah. into the president's inner circle? They're, they're in a situation where they can't get the people they want because the people they want watch the news. And they see yeah. that there's someone not listening to anybody in the White House. Well, and I guess they also know that Donald Trump has triggers. Yes. So why would you want to jump Wrong. in? <laughs> and your job is to kind of tell him you need to say it this way. Yeah, you're the communications person and you'd have to advise. You're you're there to advise, to give advice, but if you give advice that is like telling him what to do, yeah. that sets off a trigger. Yeah. Huh. Or if you lie to him. It's a difficult job. Uh, yeah. You're wrong. I mean, I I have a master's degree in communications. I mm. could Theoretically. Know, he's never called me. Right. No, not theoretically. Like, I, mean, I I have the degree. Yeah, but theoretically you could do the job. No, I mean, I mean, but in, in reality, I, like I don't ten, know. Eleven years in the media, I mean, you wouldn't take more. it. You wouldn't nah. take it. No, but I think it'd be fun to be called and then say I don't want it. Oh, really? I Whoa, mean, that would be fun. Wow, you just want? So, he, I mean, that's what he did to Romney, right? Would you put that on the resume? Then they called. I said no. They called. You want to stick it to Trump? You want to stick it to the NFL? Wow, I think I'm just ornery today. You're questioning left-handers. It's good. I, yeah, and See? I have an any belly button. Man, I what a know. day. I think it's because I woke up with a headache. Would you want Fox News to call you to comment on the president and then you could say no like all the Republican senators did yesterday? Is that what they did? Yeah. Nobody wants 52 to... of them, 55, however many they were. And then there's some, that, there's some that are saying stuff, but they're not saying stuff about Trump as much as... Just generally racism just say, yeah, is bad. Racism is bad. They're it seems like that, everybody could say that. They're hitting that softball that everyone keeps tossing at them. Do you like racism? No, I don't like racism. Great. <laughs> It just—it's not that hard of a statement, and I guess um, it just—it just seems like you're a president for everyone, right? So when ninety percent of people are against something, you just may as well just go with them. You'd think that'd be still, the easy thing to do, yeah. But yeah, and it wasn't just Fox; it was CNN, MSNBC. They all tried to get people on. Did they you hear that there was a Fox anchor that actually went on a little rant about yeah, I, it? Yeah, I saw that. And then she's saying, well, there's a, you pay a price when you do that. There, I think there's two Fox either consultants or yeah. people on the air that are currently receiving threats because of what oh, they said. Oh, wow. Yeah. 
And now they've, they've, they asked the network for extra security and can you help me out here because I feel like people are going to try to come after me. That's scary. Yeah. I mean, that's what's funny. That's what's different about our show. We've never had a threat. No. And yet I still insist on bringing Cole with me to work every day. Yeah, your bodyguard. Well, you, you need someone to watch you, just in case. Yeah, if I might I might start having security walk me to my car. You may want to get someone a little bit more beefier than Cole. He's kind of Cole a, is probably the smallest person in this building. He's yeah. the, he's the biggest brain, yeah. smartest guy on earth. You just you, you may want a beefier bodyguard. Nobody's going to mess with that brain of his, though. If you want, I'll walk you to your car. But no one's going to walk up mm. and go, mm, yeah, that guy there, he's got a brain. I think I better back off. But yeah, he, but there's two of us. People are threatened by two. It's actually like one and a half. But okay. did you um, – the cool thing <laughs> – the cool thing I guess about this show is we don't receive any death threats. And lately. Lately. Yeah. We, we may at some point. I mean you are going to go off on left-handers here in a minute. That's true. And they are they are a small but loud portion of America. Yeah, and, and fast, uh, fast to the draw. A left-hander might pull a gun I – mean, not a gun, but they might be able to pull – Huh. Any kind of athletic move faster than a right-hander. Wow. Okay. You you escalated and de-escalated that really fast. See, see that? Uh, yeah. Because they don't have to just pull a gun. They could pull a, a banana. Yeah. They could pull a, a hamstring. You ever tried, have you ever tried peeling a banana left-handed, though? No. That, I, that's where I really feel sorry for them. Well, it's impossible. Gonna, we, we will find out in just a few minutes if you need to feel sorry for a left-hander. I don't think you do. And I think there's some hidden secrets that will blow all of our minds. They just need to hang in there. Remember, it gets better. See, you don't even remember. Back in my day, they were even thinking, you know, maybe there's something really different about left-handers. Not just that they, you know, interrupt the right-handers when they're writing. We'll see. We'll see. That's straight ahead, folks. Taking on the left-handed, right-handed controversy. Is there an advantage to either hand? Stick with us. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you be the good in the world. Did you know that Aristotle, Napoleon, Queen Victoria, and Helen Keller were all left-handed? Or that uh, about five out of the last ten presidents were left-handed? For most of history, left-handedness has been uh, stigmatized. And in the book, On the Other Hand, Howard Kushner studies the impact of being left-handed and how it affects human behavior, culture, and health. Howard is with us here today uh, to uh, to walk through the book and to help us understand a little bit better what's going on in our brains and what makes us left-handed or right-handed. Howard, thank you so much for being with us today. Uh, happy to be here, Matt. This is um, this, this is such an interesting topic. Now, I guess overall... Uh, there because there was a big stigma about uh, left-handed versus right-handed. Is the stigma pretty much gone now? Um, in some places, in the West particularly, but not necessarily in the rest of the world. So, in the vast majority of the world, still children are forced to switch hands for eating and writing, and um, and there's discrimination against left-handedness. Sometimes denial that there is that there are any left-handers in some societies. Really, like, so, like you will, you will not be left-handed. Put that spoon in your right hand. Right, but exactly. But on the other hand, say in China, until recently, they claimed they had no left-handers, um, which means that 
probably the more the, the lower the number of left-handers reported, the more discrimination there is against them. Mm. Um, That's the Chinese, scary. Yeah, recently the Chinese have come around to the idea that left-handed ping pong players are okay. Oh, okay. It turns out, <laughs> is the, yeah, because yeah, that, that's like having that because that's national uh, uh, identity, and uh, of course, uh, it works in part because of surprise. For the same reason that say left hand left-handed batters work by mm. surprise or used to. Well, now, uh, I went to sorry. No, I was going to say, what percentage of people are left-handed? Well, it depends on how you define it, but between ten and twelve percent seem to be left-handed. Maybe a little bit more because we can't really be sure. Since so many people have been changed over time, they may not even, if it happened when they were young, remember what happened. Um, but about 12%. Because huh. it really is like um, it, there is kind of the shock factor of all of a sudden playing against somebody. If you're normal, if you're used to pitching against a right-handed batter, all of a sudden a left-handed batter comes up. That must give lefties an advantage. But you, in your book, you talk about the fact that lefties have a, they have a lot of advantages that haven't always been able to be measured that now we're able to measure. That's right. And, and it's an advantage so long as it's a surprise. After a while, I was at the baseball game the other night at the Padres, and there were so many left-handed batters, right-handers who were batting left-handed, that the element of surprise is no Gone. longer. Um, yeah. So... Um, so that's that's interesting. But on the other hand, left-handers have been associated with all kinds of negative things. So what my book does is it examines how researchers and other people have sought to identify the reasons for and the causes of left-handedness. And um, and despite lots of research, the answers to these questions remain elusive. Hmm. And you, I think you put your finger on the problem, which is on the one hand, left-handers are seen as... Um, as inferior, for instance, in all the languages of the world, the term for left is a negative term, hmm. like sin- sinister or yeah, sinister. Yeah, dark, yeah. Right. Um, and in Chinese, it means take, having taken the wrong path. <laughs> On the other hand, there's there's a lot of evidence that left-handers do very well in a number of, of areas that require talent, like mathematics and music. So what you have is sort of like a U-curve, where left-handers are both because of the prejudice against them, probably don't do as well and have some psychological effects of the prejudice against them, so um, so they don't test as well. On the other hand, many left-handers test even better than everyone else, So, uh, which may be tied to the fact that the left-handers are pretty persistent. Yeah. At least so. Right? Well, I mean, and maybe, I mean, how else do you explain five presidents of the last 10 presidents of the United States are left-handed? Is it... They're just used to, you know, they're used to being the minority and fighting, or I mean, or do they really have that big of an advantage, or is it just an anomaly? Well, um, it certainly does stand out when you see something like that. Yeah. And um, so what it suggests is that, that left-handers may face so much resistance as a group, right, that they are people who are more resilient, and maybe that explains why... Um, Five of the last ten presidents were left-handed. Hmm. Um, Boy, but there it is. It is a striking thing when you see that how many people seem to be left-handed who have talented. But on the other hand, when you look closely at the record, you also see um, left-handedness has been associated with um, with more negative outcomes, including autism's and schizophrenia, um, attention deficit, and and, and on and Tourette syndrome. So. The question is how 
um, how good is the research that comes to these conclusions in either direction? Yeah. And when you look at a really large population, it turns out that probably being left-handedness is being left-handed itself is no advantage. But what might be an advantage is what, what part of the brain language is in. And handedness has been used as a sort of proxy. You know, left-handed, you must be in your right brain. If you're right-handed, you must be in your left brain. But in fact, that's not true all the time. Eight, only 18% of left-handers are actually right-brained for language. Hmm. Um, and then 5%, strangely enough, of right-handers are um, right-brained for language, which doesn't make any sense at all. And um, But in terms of numbers, then, what that means is, because of the 10 to 1 or 12 to 1 ratio, that there are more uh, right-handers who are in their right brain than left-handers in terms of numbers. Hmm. So I don't, I don't know how we can explain this exactly, but... The researchers have been trying to do this for a long time. What is is it just that we haven't had the technology and I mean maybe it's not fMRI or whatever maybe it's not those tools but have we not had the technology to study what's going on in the brain with left-handed right-handedness or is it has there not been as big of an interest why is it that we don't know very much about this? Well, I think we know a lot more than we used to, and it, it is a result of the technologies. It used to be the only way you know if someone was left brain or right brain was during an operation for epilepsy, and you'd want to make sure you didn't cut out the part that may have led to epilepsy, where also where language was. Huh. And that was called a WADA test. But you would only do that when there was a serious illness. Now we have scanning techniques that are relatively inexpensive that let us figure this out um, with much more facility. And given that, um, we have that's how we have this notion of that's how we have this conclusion that only 18% of left-handers in the right brains and in terms of language and that 5% of right-handers are because we have these inexpensive technologies that we can use to um, see where this is without necessarily it's being a, a great expense or being the least bit dangerous to the patient. Mm. Yeah, I mean, so that you got to have brain good. surgery to find out which dominant side is your of your brain. That well, sounds crazy. Yeah. Yeah, right, but, but not anymore. Not anymore, thank heavens, huh? Yeah. What, um, what, so overall, I guess we don't know what causes it. Is it genetic? Is it, is it you know, environmental? What is it, social? What is it? How do we, how do we create a left-hander? Well, like so many things that we're uncertain about, um, there are people who very strongly argue that it's environmental, um, including things like early infant trauma in utero. Um, but others say, no, no, this is genetic. And so what happens is we have a bunch of researchers looking for the gene for left-handedness, which no one has been able to find, although several times it's been announced and then it hasn't panned out. And others that argue, no, it's, um, it's the result of environmental pressures, for instance, forcing people to change their hand. or mm. um, so, so as a result, right, researchers sort of focus on the areas that they're trained in rather than sort of collaborating between the two. And, and as a result, we are always looking for the single cause of left-handedness. And maybe one of the things that I suggest in my book is more true, which is that there are probably several routes to get there. Some may be genetic, some may be environmental, right? And instead of looking for the cause, we should sort of look at the, at the whole, um, whole database and both kinds of research. Hmm. Um, I'm not saying these researchers aren't, aren't smart. They're doing right. very good work, right? It's just that it's still elusive. No one has yet been able to identify both the reasons for and the causes of left-handedness, uh, despite the, the really good research that people have done. 
But it really is interesting that only 15 percent – I mean – well, I guess maybe not. Fifteen percent of, or, or no, twelve, ten to twelve percent of people and population um, are are left-handed. Uh, I guess that's more in the West, right? Because in China, it would probably be zero percent, two percent, one percent. Yeah, if you look, if you look in Asia, even South Asia, even including um, India, or looking in in parts of Africa, the reported rates of suicide, of suicide. Sorry, it was in my earliest book. The reported rates of left-handedness um, are very low, right? Which suggests that people are uh, are not willing to accept that they are left-handed, or other people are un- unwilling to accept left-handedness. So, in a way, we have this sort of test we could have, which is the more permissive a society, the larger the number of left-handers, hmm. and that's probably more a statistical difference than a real difference. Yeah, yeah, no, that exactly. Is um, so when you look at it now, are you Howard? What are you, a left hander or a right hander? Well, that's one of the things that got me interested in left handedness was I was a left hander. Uh, my mother was uh, left handed and forced to switch to her right hand as a child. Huh. No one forced me because I could bat left handed and I played tennis left handed. Yeah, you had it. Yeah, um, you were a stud. So, so, I, so I grew up at a time when being a left hander was, uh, and at least for kids, was an okay thing to be in the United States, anyhow. Does it, does it um, I mean, I guess we do know that to some degree you can learn to be a lefty or a righty because many athletes are learning to do it. Absolutely. That's the most interesting thing of all, which is the number of athletes now who realize the advantage of being left-handed uh, in tennis or in batting and uh, whose families, instead of stopping them from being left-handed, have encouraged them from being left-handed. At the turn of the century, um, last, not this recent century, but 1900s to early, uh, to 1800s to 1900s, there was a movement called the Ampidextral Cultural Movement, which sought in Britain um, to take children and to get them to use both their hands. And the founder, and the, and the argument was that if they used both their hands, they'd be using both sides of their brain. Whether that was true or not is uncertain, but... Um, the leader of this movement was Baden Powell, who founded the Boy Scouts yeah. in Britain, and he uh, he insisted that the Boy Scouts shake hands with their left hand rather than their right hand and start to use their left hand more, saying that if we could use both our hands, we'd be better off. Interesting, um, and, just because you're using your full brain. I mean, allegedly, you'd be using well, all right. of your faculties. Right, that's the theory. Right? Yeah, right. that didn't prove out. Well. It may be for some people that all the things that they need are all together on one side and others are split between the two sides. Um, but how do you get people to use two sides of their brain? People who are either strongly left-handed or strongly right-handed by a test we, we call the Edinburgh Survey, they're they're very hard to switch to use their other hand. But there are a lot of people who are sort of mixed-handedness, not necessarily ambidextrous, but who use their uh, one hand for one thing and another hand for another thing, or can use either hand fairly well, and they're sort of in the middle. They're not; they might be considered left-handed or right-handed, um, but it's easier for them to switch. So for some people, it's very difficult hmm. to switch. Interesting. I mean, I guess it does show you how individual, how individualistic we all are, how different we all are, and uh, just because you're right-handed doesn't mean you're left-brained. And you know, we're all going to play it our own little way. We're speaking with Howard Kushner, who is the author of the book, On the Other Hand, Left Hand, Right Brain, Mental Disorder and History. He's walking us through a history of 
really, in some ways, the, the traumatic uh, experience of left-handers around the world to think that you, you know, you were ostracized or you were forced to go right uh, simply because you know there was something weird about you for being a lefty. It's kind of mind blowing, isn't it? Now that we live in the West. Um, Interesting stuff. We'll continue the discussion. We'll also be talking about right-handed, left-handed, and how it impacts relationships, linguistics, uh, learning disabilities. Interesting stuff straight ahead. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you be the good in the world. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Uh, today we're talking about left, left-handedness, left uh, the book, On the Other Hand, Left Hand, Right Brain, Mental Disorder and History by Howard I. Kushner. Uh, Howard is the Nat C. Robertson Distinguished Professor of Science and Society uh, Emeritus at Emory University and the John D. Adams Professor of History Emeritus at San Diego State University. He's joining us today to, to talk about his book and to help us all understand a little bit better about uh, left-handers. Uh, thank you again so much, Howard, for being with us today. Well, it's a pleasure to be here, Matt. Thanks. You bet. So overall, um, about 10 to 12 percent of people, I guess, in the West are seen as are, are left-handers. What would you say uh, are, are the actual advantages? There, I mean, apparently there are some advantages according to um, – uh, to one article we read, is it, is it true that uh, that left-handers may be quicker thinkers? Some left-handers may be. I mean, there are. Um, I, I made a ranking between you know, strong one, uh, one being a weak evidence, and five being strong evidence of being left-handed, where, where the advantages were. And um, so, I think that the first thing to say is that, given the discrimination, one of the most positive facts about left-handers is the increasing numbers of left-handers who've come to believe that being left-handed is positive in, in itself, and there's sort of a pride movement. Last mm. Sunday was um, Left-Handers International Day. <laughs> um, so so I think that's important. Wherever there's discrimination, if people make it into something positive, that has positive effects. So I think that makes left-handers probably exaggerate a bit. Um, the advantages of being left-handed. But the other strengths include things like um, left-handers have an advantage, and a lot of people look this over hundreds of years, uh, advantage in battle and combat because there's so relatively few of them. So while there are a few numbers of left-handers, the surprise element really um, uh, makes an advantage. And as we were talking before the break, um, things like uh, Sports is a very high advantage of being left-handed. Um, as more and more people become left-handed, probably the advantage mm. goes down. Mm. Left-handers seem to be better in mathematics. Um, many studies claim them, this to be true, but there are other studies that say it's not true. In fact, I think what happens is um, someone will find something that they think is particularly true of left-handers, and now it will be given a positive skin, skin uh, uh, positive uh, view, but if we think about what happened to left-handers over time and just look at the history of it just in, say, the United States, 
Uh, left-handers were considered to be um, having more disabilities, particularly learning disabilities and even retardation. It never occurred to the people who came to these conclusions that the reason was that the way that children were treated in the first place, mm. which was they were humiliated, they were made to switch to their other hand, their hands were tied behind their back, um, to, their left hand was tied behind their back to make sure they used their right hand. And so it became self-fulfilling. Um, and one of the uh, effects of switching hands turned out to be that a lot of people whose hands were switched, kids, turned out to be stutterers. There's physiological reasons why that might be so. Not all stutterers were switched, but but many stutterers were. And there was the, the treatment at that time was to, um, as it is today, is a variety of different kinds of interventions. But at the University of Iowa in the 1920s to the 1950s, uh, it occurred to the people treating um, stutterers who were switched that maybe if they switched them back. Um, <laughs> Tie the other hand better. around. <laughs> what they did was they let them use their left hands. Oh, interesting. It. What did and they find? Yeah. They found that, in fact, the stutterers went away. The stutter went away in almost all cases. Unbelievable. Um, which, is, which is unbelievable. When I saw this, I was really uh, surprised. But then when we did other interviews um, with people who had been uh, left-handed, um, we found the same kind of story, this strong humiliation, um, the standing in the corner, the teacher making fun sometimes, the other children hitting the children with rulers. So um, so it's not surprising that left-handers, until until we accepted them, were, didn't do as well. Mm-hmm. Well, so and I think, yeah. it shows you, too, how little we know and but how how uh, confident we are to act um this is this is just a great i think insight for a lot of other issues that might maybe genetic or biological or environmental and how we need to be careful not to immediately ostracize a, a group of people and assume that they're either a witch or that they're just broken um because they're different absolutely i think this is just another example of of how people who have a disability have been treated or what we see as a behavior that we initially see as, as the disability turns out not to be a disability at all. And the reason we come to that conclusion is one is because our research gets better because people see the difference, but also because the people who are discriminated against themselves um, take up their own cause. And I think that's what's happened with left-handedness and so many other things in our society. Does it affect relationships and emotion management? Um, well, of course, in the old days it did, um, but I don't think today it, I, it, there seems to be much evidence that it, that it does. I guess, too, um, it, does it matter right brain, left brain, anything about the emotion, or does it, is that just kind of an well, old wives' know, tale? In, 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 I don't know if it's an old wives' tale, but it, there are a lot of people that hold that creativity is on the non-dominant side of the brain, which for most people would be the, uh, the right hemisphere, and so... The right hemisphere should be opened up to use to become more creative. The, the evidence to sustain that claim is not very strong, hmm. but uh, the belief is very strong. And so we have books like Drawing on the Right Side of the Brain. It's gone through like twelve editions. Um, wow! And of course, and and of course, when people are trying to create a positive view of their own situation, like being left-handed, sometimes they're willing to accept um, exaggerated claims about that. 
And so it's hard to it's hard to say that we know enough right now to say that relationships are affected, except in the sense that obviously um, uh, there there are going to be neurobiological substrates to all kinds of behaviors, and so I think we're learning more and more about that hmm. as as we have more and more access to the brain. Well, and and because I all I learned about left-handed people is that they. That their their hand their hand is going to run into my hand if we sit next to each other and we're riding. Our elbows are going to bang against each other. Does do, do you? Is, I think that's true. By the way, yeah, I mean, I mean that's what, that's probably what motivated the Chinese to, to to sort of switch everybody because they were trying to educate thousands and thousands of children. And it was if you have to make allowance for ten percent, that's not inexpensive. Well, and I guess too, and just then, our books. I mean, they end up they end up smearing their own handwriting as they're right. writing. So is it would it would it be better to to be fully adaptive and and create books that are different and I mean uh different uh, you know methods of writing or pen I don't know is it how far well, do we fact, take it? Well in fact it's been taken that far already. There are stores all over the western world called left-hander stores hmm. where you can get left-hander scissors or you know I don't think anyone solved the problem of how a left-hander, if the desk is is set up for a right-hander, won't smear over their own line, their own yeah. writing. And so you see left-handers sort of writing coming back down, their hand coming back down to uh, to do that. Of course, you have to. There is some truth to the fact. Let's say you're in a traditional society and you're using a scythe and you're going down a field, right? Right. And the person next to you. Oh boy, you're swinging a scythe. <laughs> Right, you That's probably scary. Don't want to stand next to them, right? So, right. So there is there are studies that suggest that um, that left-handers suffer more accidents in a right-handed world, hmm. and uh, and even one study that claims that as a result, left-handers don't live to be as old as right-handers. I don't think the evidence for that is strong, but the argument has been persistent. But, well, and it makes sense, doesn't it? Uh, I mean, you're in a right-handed world. Everything's kind of uh, fighting against your nature. I guess overall, help us understand as we kind of wrap this up, Howard, what, what's the takeaway? What's the number one thing you want people to get from your book? And, uh, and what should the rest of us know about handling the differences? Well, I think, I think what we should know is, is, that, is that left-handedness, like other kinds of it's, it's a kind of parallels other dis, disabilities. So what we see sometimes is a sign of the difference and therefore of abnormality, and it had been associated with the profane, um, that, that we should, as you suggested, we should step back and look at it and try to understand, well, where does this come from? Why are people left-handed? And, uh, and despite everything, why is this persistent? What's the cause of it? Why are only humans um, going back to Neanderthals, by the way, have about 10 or 12% left-handed. Um, and so is this difference matter? And maybe maybe difference turns out in terms of interpersonal relationships not to matter at all. Hmm. Yeah. So I think that's the take-home, right? And may even be, you know, additive, mutually beneficial, something that we all can can appreciate and gain from. Well, we appreciate uh, your insight. Howard I. Kushner is his name. The name of the book is On the Other Hand, Left Hand, Right Brain, Mental Disorder, and History. And uh, we just I, I just am grateful that we can take an issue like this that seems, you know, insignificant to us now, but in many parts of this world is still – there's still major, major discrimination against left-handers 
Can you imagine uh, having your country say that there are no left-handers in the country? It's uh, it's kind of it's amazing, isn't it? And that's China, for heaven's sake. So interesting insights. We'll continue this discussion when we come back about how to value the differences. A little coach's corner up next. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Because life doesn't come with a handbook, you need a coach. Here's Dr. Matt and his coaching corner. Label. Welcome back, friends. You know, left-handed people have have really been uh, ostracized. They've been uh, discriminated against all over the world and still continue to be in Asian countries as well. It's just historically, it's it's not good. There's a major stigma that's been attached to it. And now the more we study, the more we know, we realize they're not they're not that they're not that strange. It's just 10, 15 percent of the population generally are lefties. And as I think about it, especially as we have so much going on with uh, racism and, uh, you know, people doing everything they can to separate everybody. Think of how little we know even about. Uh, same-sex attraction, about homosexuality, how ostracized they have been as well, LGBT, um, and how we – whatever we find is different, we immediately want to pretend like it doesn't exist. And yet there's real – there's real pressure. There's real stress that goes on in the lives of these people as as innocuous or seemingly irrelevant as a left-handed – or LGBT, or imagine being a minority in a community where there, where you are the minority. These things add up, folks. And there are other people on this earth that are different. And it can't always be explained. And it's not just deviant behavior. It's not just somebody trying to make your normal life difficult. Life is hard for people. And I think the thing we all need to remember is we're, we're all one second away. We're one minute away from being so wholly dependent on everyone else on this earth to be able to survive and to be able to make it, we don't have the luxury to turn a lot of people off and to hate people for reasons we don't even understand. So why don't we all just take a deep breath and start to realize that maybe in the end, these differences don't matter. And we don't necessarily, we may not agree with some of the things that people do, but we also don't understand them. And before you start judging everything about it, why don't you get in and start understanding and see also if you can create some compassion, some caring, some love for these people. If, if you don't agree with them, that's fine. But you could still understand them. And I think that's what our world needs a little bit more of is just more understanding, more, uh, more patience. Anyway, a little, uh, little coaching help there for all of us, really. Just because they're different doesn't mean you can't love them. Uh, especially difference is it's subjective, isn't it? This is the Matt Townsend Show. We do what we can on the program to help you be the good in the world. And uh, let's all continue that goal. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Hey, friends, 
Dr. Matt here, your coach, your guide on this side, along with Jeffrey Liam Simpson and Terry South. We got a great uh, show lined up for you today. We're going to be talking about an app that helps you record your dreams. What, what, hold on. What, what did the Apple have to do with that? We, oh, you said app. Okay. Yeah. Got app, it. Not Apple. An app that helps you record your dreams. Then you can figure out what being naked at the airport has to do with your life. Because you're not even going to the airport. But why am I naked? All of a what? sudden, you what? can now document your dream. Because uh, apparently a lot of dreams involve people being naked or people running. Oh, I thought you meant like a fantasy. People wanted to be naked at the airport. No, that's a different kind of okay. dream. That, right. That's just going to lead you into sin. Ooh. So the the guest is a, a professor here at BYU in, in IT. And he's going to walk us through his app and talk about the power of dreams um, really, how cool would it be if you could actually wake up from your dream, immediately document the dream, add it to a database, and then this uh, app helps you see what other people are thinking, how many people are having similar dreams of the naked run through the airport? Whoa. This is very timely, you know. There's a movie that's coming out that nobody will see, um, but it has Peter Dinklage in it, who's in Game of Thrones. Okay. And it's about this this guy that can record dreams and he's killed, and Peter Dinklage comes in to try really? to solve this murder mystery. Maybe our guest, uh, Dr. James Gaskin, is part of the dream recorder. Dream Squad. Dream Squad. Yeah. Dream Squad. I'd watch that. Yeah, yeah. Dream Squad. Well, now yeah. we have an app. Now, how how awake are you? You wake up. You Because, I mean, if you... You wake up, you have the dream, and then within a few minutes, it just sort of disappears. Yeah. So how how what is your ability to wake up and grab something and document something? I mean, well, I, well, he he's going to talk talk about it. But one thing that is, I guess, part of this is you have to you have to want to document it. Oh. So I, I think part of it is getting your brain around the idea that I'm going to I want to I want to remember my dreams. So when you become more intentional about wanting to remember your dreams. Apparently, there might be some help where you can then – you're actually more likely to remember your dreams. Okay. I, would, I would wake up and write down a really funny joke that I had during the night. Yeah. And then, you know, later that day, I'd reread it and be like, no, oh, that's not funny at all. Well, or is it just that you're in a different mood? You're in a different space. There's a lot of people now talking about how you can use your subconscious when you're asleep. And I do – I actually do do it So because oh. I, I have to like prepare – I have to prepare four points to go take on television to talk about, you know, how to say no to someone. Hmm. So when I go to bed, I think about it for a bit and then I just I, – I really, I think, OK, I need to come up with four ways to say no to people. I think about it for a couple minutes. Then I go to bed. When I wake up in the morning, a lot of times I can just turn it on and start really literally dictating the four things. So you're talking like no, 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 no. That was four different ways to say no. Yeah, no, that's not. No, that's not. Okay. No. Except Matt Sopak usually had to tell your girlfriends that their haircuts are ridiculous. <laughs> no. Because he's on like, you know, female-oriented TV in the afternoons. Because that's what it is. Female-oriented. It's female-oriented. It's there's no, there's, no, there's no purposeful, like, they're not programming But you make it sound like show. it's negative. Eh. For a guy, yeah, it's really kind of negative. Because, I mean, you, you, they kind of squeeze you between the recipe and the scrapbooking technique segment. What's wrong with that? I'm just saying. That's the show. Well, would you rather squeeze me between the oil change and the well, there, no, we don't want to. We don't want to squeeze you anywhere. Thank you. 
I appreciate it. Coming up so, next. So we've got uh, apps about how to record your dreams. We've also got some crazy headlines. Holy cow, be careful. Always check your chicken sandwich. That's what grandma used to say. Always check the chicken sandwich. And uh, what do you do when you're you know, in traffic and a, a gurney holding a, a dead body flies out of a van? What hmm. do you do? I don't. I mean, do you pass it? It's one of them. Do you uh, hit it. Deleted scenes from Weekend of Bernie's. That's what it is. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it, on the, it's on the DVD. I I once ran over a ladder on the freeway, Ooh. going like seventy or eighty miles per hour. Oh wow! And it was fine. I just kept going. Did you really? Yeah. I, I watched someone run over a ladder. That was that was fun. There's a lot of ladders on the freeway. Yeah, it's like people secure your ladders, ladder. mattresses, and just you know burnt out tires. The best mm. was the uh, insulation. Oh, yeah. Like the really? rolls of insulation fell off, so cars are just flying yeah, through Yeah, but that this. would be – if you're going to hit something, yeah. that would be fun it to hit. It was fun. It was just exploding. It but I guess it, would st- it could still damage your car. Yeah. I hit a bird once. I've never felt more sad in my life because all I really? heard was – And this puff of feathers have just you, explodes in front of my car. Have you seen the video of the pitcher Randy Johnson when he – Yes. Oh, yeah. Watched that took video. out a seagull. Yeah. That's where I fell in love with baseball. <laughs> was that this? a seagull? I think it was a seagull. I have to look at it. Probably again, a it pigeon. Just, it was just a – just like explosion of feathers. You're like, whoa. Oh, that was tragic. Tragic. Okay. We've got all that to cover today <laughs> plus, of course, um, more empty news, information you, you didn't even know you needed to know. But first, let's get to the real headlines around the country. Terry, what's going on that we should pay attention to? White House Homeland Security Committee, or no, not the White House, the House Homeland Security Committee will hold a hearing on terror threats in the wake of the Charlottesville white supremacist-fueled deadly violence, its chairman said on Wednesday. But Democrats on the committee call the response inadequate. Representative uh, Benny Thompson, the committee's ranking member, asked the chairman, Representative Michael McCall, to call the hearing specifically on domestic terrorism when Congress returns to Washington in September. But Thompson said in a statement later Wednesday night that the hearing McCall referred to was already scheduled and will not allow us to go in depth. Uh, will will not allow us to go into the depth necessary to address the far-ranging and multifaceted aspects of the threat posed by domestic terror threats from white supremacists and neo-Nazi groups. So there's a meeting, but it's not going to quite cover what everybody wants it to cover. They might be discussing it, but... Maybe we ought to change the agenda. I don't know. The agenda's been written on a piece of paper. Okay, yeah. So, yeah, don't change that. Even if it would make the meeting more valuable for everyone that attends. Yeah, so, ah, who knows? We'll see what happens. The White House has named Hope Hicks Interim Communications Director, Ah. taking over the recently departed Anthony Scaramucci. The Mooch! Hicks' current White House Senior Communications Advisor is unlikely to last long in the new position, both because officials say a permanent communications director will be named at the appropriate time. Nobody wants it. And due to the troubled history of the job <laughs> under President Trump, the Washington, wants it. Washington Post runs down the list of people to hold the communications director's role under Trump in the length of their tenure. Jason Miller had it for two days. Uh, there's a whole uh, controversy involving him over the last few days, if you want to look into him. J- uh, Sean Spicer, 55 days. Mike Dubuque. Or De- Dubuque. D-U-B-K-E. Dubke. Dubke. There you go. 90 days. He, he was there for 90. No one knew he existed. Three months. Spicer, 64 days. He and, went back to Spicy. And, and Scaramucci for 10 days. Mamooch. Hicks's approach as senior communications advisor so far appears to have been to let Trump, who calls her the hopester, to do as he pleases when it comes to the press. Okay, see, okay. So really, she's less of a director and more of the communications follower. I think she kind of aims. Yeah. She goes over there. 
That's hey, about. Uh, Mr. Trump, can you send something that way? Though I do believe she's the one that allowed the New York Times in a couple weeks ago, and then he's just went off on all kinds of things. Okay, this is interesting. And it goes through the communications office and went through her, ah. and she sat down with three New York Times reporters who got all kinds of great stuff out of them. I like to look at it this way. What does General Kelly? He must. He must approve of this. Maybe this is General Kelly's way of saying, okay, nobody wants the job. He doesn't yeah. listen to anybody anyway, so right. let's just let Hope, who's already got a good relationship with him, let her do this for a while. Let's see if we can at least slow down the miscommunication from the White House. Possibly. Or he's still looking at his shoes, either way. Yeah, he, yeah maybe he's still overwhelmed by there's all a, the There's things. a video out there of NBC pointed a camera at Kelly during yeah. Trump's press conference, and you just watch his facial expression as you hear the audio. And you can hear this. You can't, but it's like... <sighs> Gonna have to fix that. Ugh. That's a hard job. Uh, Apple. Apple. Just waiting for that. Is telling content makers it wants to spend $1 billion of its own stuff over the next year. $1 billion on its own creation of TV over the next year. That's music uh, music to studios ears at a tune they have been expecting for some time, especially after Apple hired two top Sony TV executives in June. We still don't know what uh, the uh, company that's located in uh, Cupertino, California, yeah. wants to do with that content. The Wall Street Journal says that uh, Apple wants to make up to 10 Game of Thrones or House of Cards scale shows. Wow. Well, you think about that. One billion dollars. Yeah. Which, by the way, is a drop in the bucket. They have like 253 billion of those. As sitting in like Ireland, yeah. But $1 billion to throw at production. Right. Don't those shows cost about $5 million per episode? Could be. Yeah. Something crazy like that. So if it's working and people are watching and everyone's moving to Amazon away from Netflix, or not not Amazon, if they're all moving to um, Apple instead of Netflix, right. Then you throw another bill at it. So they want to make 10 of those shows, meaning these are the really watched shows, really appreciated shows. They put a lot of effort in. There's a lot of... Like probably only 12, 13, 14 episodes or whatever. Yeah. Okay. Here we go. Between 2012 and 2015, the average budget per episode increased from six to eight million dollars. The sixth season budget was over 10 million per episode. Yeah. And these are like 50 but, minutes long. Yeah, but so what you could do is 10 episodes at $10 million, and you could have 10 series like that. There's your money. There's your money. And if it's working, you'll have more money to do it again. And it says, for context, HBO spent about $2 billion in content last year. Netflix is spending $6 billion, and so Apple's spending one. So while they said, well, Apple is now formally competing with those guys for content, it certainly doesn't want to beat them. It wants the, their streaming services on Apple devices because they get a cut of that yeah. purchase also. It seems like Apple could just buy Netflix. Just go buy it. It could. Why compete? Because go the, buy it and well, then throw a bill down at, and make a ton of content. The problem is Netflix is anticipating all of the networks taking content away, and then Netflix will be – will it work with Netflix creating all their own content? Right. Will people still come back and watch that? Interesting. Don't you enjoy being your own boss? Yes. Love it. Love the power. I love firing myself. I love giving myself a raise. I love sending myself an email telling me how great I am. (laughs) By the way, you're great. Thank you. You're Finally, 
Kellogg's will appear in court to defend the amount of sugar contained in cereals and other breakfast products it claims are healthy. Oh, really? Yeah. The class action lawsuit was brought by Stephen Hadley, who says that he ate Kellogg's products for breakfast for years and believes he was making a healthy choice. But he says he recently learned some Kellogg's products contain enough sugar to put him at risk for diabetes, obesity, liver disease, and more. No. Apparently, he just turned the box and looked at the nutritional guidelines. It says sugar a lot. Hadley's lawsuit claims some sugar cereals and breakfast bars have 18 to 40% of the FDA's daily recommended value of sugar. The lawsuit names, he names names in this one too. Raisin Bran, Frosted Mini Wheats, Neutral Grain Cereal Bars, and 26 other products. Raisin Bran wouldn't do that to us. People eat Raisin Bran? I do. (laughs) Kellogg had uh, sought to dismiss the suit, arguing that Hadley doesn't actually know how much sugar is in its products and its products are close to the FDA guidelines for sugar, and that language used in its advertising is either true or simply puffery. Ooh, cocoa puffery. In particularly <laughs> denying the company's, uh, they, so the par- in partial denying of the company's motion to dismiss, U.S. District Court Judge Lucy Coe ruled that- Lucy. Yeah, ruled that claims of being nutritious, wholesome, and having essential nutrients can't be dismissed as puffery. Lucy, you got some splaining to do. Is Ricky here? I think Ricky just showed up. Right. Ricky Ricardo. So be, be careful with puffery. You could go too far. I love. I think puffery is a nice, puffery. a nice way of saying lie. But do you not think really. somebody? This was Kellogg's lie. Yeah. You don't think Snap, Crackle, and Pop would lie to you, do you? Possibly. That could be a post. Mm, by the way, Crack would. Crack it. Yeah. You yeah. know what? Never trust a guy with the name Crack. You know, for the first. Two or three weeks of my leg injury, I was experiencing major puffery. Are we still talking about your leg? He is. I thought it was better. There are the last little bits of scab that are just hanging on for dear life. You just roll that up and flick it away. Oh, let's not talk about that (laughs) and breakfast cereal in the same segment. We've got an empty news story that will probably make you lose your lunch, too. Tell me. Let's go to the empty news right now. The empty news team. First on the scene, fifth on facts. Wow, nobody even said the word apple. Oh, there we go. I'm craving an apple. Terry, will you look out there for an apple somewhere? See if one of the students have an apple. Okay, so Terry mentioned earlier on the program his wife bit into a burrito one time at an establishment that is no longer in business, we should point out. Yes. And uh, found a little piece of metal from a flask. Like a wire whisk? Yeah. Whisk, yeah. Oh, not a flask. Yeah, Yeah. a whisk. Uh, Well, there's a lady that's filing a lawsuit against Chick-fil-A. What? She's from Philadelphia. She got an extra topping on her Chick-fil-A sandwich, a dead rodent. I did not order... A dead rodent on my chicken sandwich. Didn't even know that was on the menu. I only get a pickle. So Ellen Manfaluti, sounds pretty highfalutin, sued in Bucks County Court over the tiny rodent she claims was baked into the bottom bun of her chicken sandwich. Someone done baked the bottom bun, baked it in? That would mean you would have to knead the rodent into Uh, the dough. uh, Or. Yeah. Or the rodent just fell into the dough or the rodent was in the flour eating the flour okay and then was then in the dough placed in the dough and then became part of the bun 
Which could by, be. By the way, this makes sense. I mean, these companies make millions of buns. Right. And but the occasional rodent falls in? Come on. I hear once they're cooked, that there's just a lot of protein in rodents. Well, we're going to get to that in a second. Oh, boy. Really? Uh, you're going to be excited. We've got some exciting news. Okay, good. A co-worker picked up the sandwich for her at a Langhorn restaurant in November, and the two started to eat in a conference room at the insurance agency where they work. I felt something funny on the bottom of the bun, Manfaluti told the Philadelphia Inquirer on Monday. I turned it over. I said to my co-worker... They burned my roll really bad. Her co-worker said that as soon as Manfaluti threw the sandwich on the table, I realized it was a small rodent of some sort. I could see the whiskers and the tail. Manfaluti's lawyer filed the lawsuit against Chick-fil-A uh, franchise owner Dave Heffernan and the store after they weren't yeah. responsive to complaints. Manfaluti is seeking more than $50,000 for physical and psychological damages. Oh, yeah. Is that $50,000 worth of damage? Yeah. You think so? You wouldn't be able to play with your gerbil ever again. It means maybe you wouldn't go to Chick-fil-A again, but that's probably not the worst thing in the world because we shouldn't be eating there on a regular basis anyway. I love Chick-fil-A. That's beside the point. Everybody okay. loves Chick-fil-A. So um, you mentioned protein. It's very interesting because um, – We've actually – this is perfect timing for this to happen. Maybe this was – I'm starting to think maybe this is a story that was planted. Oh, a planted story, yeah. Because – For a PR opportunity. Yeah, because one of our sponsors, Casi Carne, mm. has come out with their new commercial. Mm. Enjoying that sandwich? Hey, where did you come from? I moseyed on over here when I noticed your mom went to the restroom. Say, that sure looks good. Enjoying it? There's something in it. I can't quite put my finger on it. That something is called radical ounces of dactyldemic experimental nectomic tastiness. Hey, wait, isn't that an acronym for rodent? <laughs> Where'd you learn such a big word, son? I'm a girl. Of course you are, Susie. My name is... Radical ounces of dactyldemic experimental nectomic tastiness, or to use your word, rodent, is the newest product from Cosi Carne. The genus Nectomus is fed a strict diet of donated chicken parts and injected with serums with names this high school dropout can't pronounce and that you wouldn't find all that interesting anyway. Then, after a brief trip to Uncle Butch, the Nectomus is processed with care in an occasionally USDA-supervised facility before he's shipped directly to restaurants all over the Midwest. I think I'm gonna be sick. Oh, it's perfectly natural and quite safe. Just ask Dr. Tribbiani. I highly recommend radical ounces of dactyldemic experimental nectomic tastiness for all diets. I'm pretty sure that was just your voice dubbed over Dr. Tribbiani's. <laughs> what are you, my lawyer? Now, if you're not sure whether it's safe to eat, just remember this saying. If you sense a foreign crunch, it'll make for a great lunch. Hey, get away from my daughter. Whoops, gotta go. Rodent, the tasty new product from Cosi Carne. Hey, 
every night, right? Many people around the world are dreaming. In fact, you're probably having, on average, uh, people over the age of 10 dream at least four to six times per night, which is amazing because you may not even remember any of your dreams, right? And have you ever wondered uh, if other people are dreaming the same things as you are? Well, in actuality, there are uh, many people who are dreaming similar things, and a crazy uh, part about that is there, there might even be some interesting insight and research as to what are the most common dreams and what these dreams might mean. So uh, a BYU professor has decided to develop an app that collects and dreams uh, – that collects dream analytics, some of the data of your dreams, and then allows people around the world to share what they're dreaming about and learn um, through YouTube videos and other tools uh, about dream. The name is the dream. The name of the app is You Dreamed, and uh, here to talk about it is James Gaskin. J- Dr. James Gaskin is a professor of information systems in the Marriott School of Management here at BYU, and his research focuses on human computer interaction, digital innovation, and mixed reality. James, thanks for being with us. Thank you, Matt. What a cool idea! I mean, I everybody dreams, right? And but I guess the issue is I, some people are really into their dreams. Yep, and some people are definitely aren't, and they just like they don't care. But is it what is it? Is it cultural? Is it what makes us want? What makes us want to learn more about our dreams as opposed to those people that just whatever had a bad dream? I think it's largely cultural. Yeah, out here in the West, um, in the U.S. or out in Europe, a lot of people don't put much stock in dreams. But out in other countries like Asia or continents like Asia, Africa, uh, South America, it's very common to put a lot of stock in dreams. Yeah, I mean, it's almost like it's. Some people would believe it's telling you something. It's God. It's some higher power trying to communicate what you need to do next. Exactly, it gives you insights to your past, your present, your future. Yeah. What does an I information systems business professor have? Why are you even in this category? Why are you talking <laughs> dreams? I should probably clarify. I mean, it's kind of fun that people think I made this. Uh, it's not my idea. Uh, this is a funded startup venture with a big group uh, where we've got together. And it actually came from a young man. He's currently a student at Harvard. Really? Yeah. He and uh, another uh, another guy have been toying with this idea for several years. And finally, uh, they met up with me. We put it together, and we've uh, put a lot into it. It's a fairly large team of, of PhDs and students. And but it, se- it actually seems to make sense because you're not – like you would think like there would be a psychologist that's there in charge is. of the dreaming part. So we, we have a neuropsychologist on our uh, set of uh, key core members. Yeah. So we have a, psycholog- a neuropsychologist. We have a data analyst. That's me. That's you. And um, user interface design. That's me. Uh, we have some developers obviously. Uh, we have an operations guy who's – he's actually – he runs a management consulting group right now. Interesting. And so he's sort of doing the business of all this. We have an IT guy who knows all the hardware and back-end kind of systems. Yeah. And anyway, it's a, it's a big group. And so I hate to take credit yeah, for uh, coming up with the idea. Look I at James. Didn't. He's the dream machine. Oh, yeah. But part of what it, it actually seems like, it's, it's, a, it's almost the perfect endeavor because it's, it's almost the perfect interface between humans – and a human a subjective experience like a dream and how a human thinks and how they process. But then the IT side of it is how do you capture it? How do you prompt them to give you more and more data so that you can create a rich database? Right. So this really isn't a stretch from my area of yeah. interest and my teaching and my research. 
Uh, this is all about human-computer interaction, and my minor is all in cognitive science and linguistics, actually. Yeah, so there you go. And so this is right up my alley, um, and I'm a dreamer. Uh, and so are you big into dreams? Oh, oh yeah. Me and also uh, the founders, like th- that student at Harvard, he's a big dreamer. Um, our COO, he's a huge dreamer. Our neuropsychologist is a dreamer. And, Interesting. Uh, we found it's kind of funny. We come from lines of dreamers. I don't know. We said it's cultural. Yeah. So maybe therein lies the family uh, tradition. Um, maybe it's also genetic. Is there a dream gene? I'd love to know. Interesting. Is there a dream gene that we hand down? Or are you all just witches? Oh, Rob, I mean, that could be it, too. Let's not go I float. that far. <laughs> Do you float? Because yeah. one of the keys, I guess, some dream and they actually want to focus on their dream. They want to remember their dream. And some have dreams, but they, they'll say, I don't, I don't, I have a bunch. I don't remember any of them. Is there a way to like exercise your brain in a way that you get better at remembering your dreams? Definitely. I like to think of uh, our capacity to remember dreams as sort of a, a storage area in our brain, a sort of a vault. Hmm. And some of us never fill that vault. And so the vault shrinks. Uh, for those of us who are constantly filling that vault with this intention to remember our dreams, um, we can store our dreams in there and we can remember them easily uh, as we practice that. When I first uh, started remembering my dreams, I guess I was probably three years old, um, and my mom encouraged it, my dad encouraged it. Interesting. And uh, so that capacity to remember dreams has always uh, has always been there and been growing. How cool. So part of it's, I guess, intent. And then, Definitely intent. And, and then there's something about almost right when you wake up, it seems like you'd need some exercise to get the dream out. It's like... It's like when you're – say you're driving down the road. There's so much information flowing past you. Unless you intentionally grab a piece of it and say, hey, I'm going to remember that, mm. it's gone. It's gone. And so in the morning, if you wake up and you don't say intentionally to yourself, I'm, I'm going to remember what yeah. I was just, you know, just on the edge of my mind, it's gone. Interesting. Do you remember multiple dreams? Some nights I do. You know, I was thinking about it this morning. I figured you'd probably ask me, what was your dream last night? I have no idea. Yeah, you didn't have one last night. I bet I did. Yeah. You know, you say we had four to six, six. right? A night, I I don't remember anything from last night. I I flew in really late and was exhausted and woke up really early, and I have no clue what I dreamed about last night. Interesting. But other nights, I can remember three to four dreams. Oh, can you really? Yeah. Do you enter those into your app? I do. Yeah, I have hundreds of dreams entered into the app. Now, Okay, because I here's one thing. Maybe you can help me with. Whenever I take Nyquil at night, <laughs> I have a dream that a river of water is flowing from my mouth all night. That's long. That's fascinating. Mm-hmm. If I, wake I up were and my a pillow's dream wet. Ther- <laughs> your pillow's wet. Huh? It's always wet. <laughs> At least it's your pillow. Yeah, um, that's right. <laughs> if I were a dream therapist or a dream interpreter, I'd, I'd help you out with You'd that. You'd help us with that. But I'm an information systems professional. So you have how many people on the You Dreamed app? How oh, many have signed up? Growing constantly. Uh, we haven't actually launched yet. Oh, you um, haven't? No, <laughs> but you've got thousands on. We, we do have thousands and thousands on there, and it, like I said, it's growing constantly, and uh, we're still. Finishing up some, you know, last touches and some bells and whistles. Yeah, and there are pieces of the app that aren't functional. You click on them, it says "coming soon." Yeah, uh, but the key features are there, and so people are finding value in it and are returning every day. And the idea is, you wake up in the morning or after you've had a dream, or I guess you can enter at any time, but yeah. you then enter in the dream, but it prompts you. The app prompts you through. A, a yes. kind of certain questions that you want to aggregate the data on. Yes, this was a key design feature that we uh, have struggled with for a couple of years now, and, and I think we've gotten it down to something that's better. It's not yet perfect, but yeah. it is better. When you record dreams, most apps just have an open 
dialogue, an open text box, and you just type out your dream. And that's really difficult data to process. Yeah, right. Also, what you type from your perspective and in your language is going to be very different from what I type, even if we had identical dreams. And so one of the things we built into this was a categorization scheme mm-hmm. so that, like you said, it prompts you. It says, uh, first of all, when did you have this dream? Yeah. Um, what kind of dream was it? Was it a nightmare? Was it a normal dream? Was it uh, an epiphany? Was it a revelation? All cool. sorts of types of dreams. Um, how often do you have this dream? Frequently, infrequently? Is it the first time ever? Or you've had this dream so many times or a couple times or similar dreams but not the exact same dream? Who was in the dream? Where were you when you were dreaming? So these are just prompts. Yeah. And you just answer. You can say, you just click my on, mom. Yeah, just, exactly. Yeah. You just click, click, click on a click. text box, actually. Easy, easier really? than that. You don't even have to type anything That's perfect. Yeah. initially. Um, and then when you're done, you can also enter the full stream of thought of your dream. You can enter it in as much detail as you want, just freeform text. And then, and then uh, yeah, that's like the that, – what would that be? The qualitative data. Exactly, the qualitative data. So in the – with all those prompts, we're collecting very systematic quantitative data that is the same for you, for me, for everyone in Asia, for everyone in Africa. Interesting. And so from a database perspective, it's analyzable. Yeah. Whereas that freeform text, it's getting to the point where we can analyze that with machine learning. Yeah. Um, we're getting pretty good at that. But it's still there, – there's a long way to go there. That's a, that, that really is amazing. And then – um, now we, and we'll take a break and come back and, and have you explain to us what the data is saying with your small sample of thousands, mm-hmm. uh, which is a big sample in the in, in, in the, the dream in field, the academic that's really big. world. Yeah. And I bet, yeah, in the dream world. But I want you to when we come back, you'll tell us about uh, what really like what are the most common dreams? What are they about? Also, um, get some more insight into what you hope to do with this app. And is it just going to stay academic? Or are you going to be selling other products or whatever through the app as well? Dr. James Gaskin is with his folks. He's a, an information systems professor in the Marriott School of Management, and he's talking about his new app, uh, he and his team's new app, You Dreamed, helping us uh, document our dreams. This is The Matt Townsend Show, helping you be the good in the world. We'll be back. Stick with us. Time to dissect those dreams, folks. Joining us today is Dr. James Gaskin. He is a professor of information systems in the Marriott School of Management right here at BYU and uh, is is basically teaching us about an app that he and a team have developed, um, a team of researchers, of investors, and even a Harvard student. It was his idea originally about let's let's go through – Capture all of our dreams, document the dreams in a way that we can then evaluate the data down the road and then give you some coaching, some counseling on the side if you want more information about your dreams. The name of the app is called You Dreamed, and um, he it really – it's so far thousands of people – you haven't even launched it, but thousands of people are on. You're testing it. Well, what are you learning, James, as far as dreams are concerned? What are some of the popular themes that are coming up in the dreams? The – well, what what are we learning? Let me answer that. Uh, there's a there's a dream stream is what we call it. Dream stream. Uh, dream stream. Yeah. Where you can see just sort of the high level overview of what people are entering as they enter it. It's kind of fun to yeah. watch. Oh, somebody dreamed about whatever like Trump, or somebody dreamed about uh, goats. Goats, exactly, <laughs> or goat Trump. 
Um, <laughs> and these dreams come in just every every minute. You see another dream pop in there. Yeah. And as we grow, it'll be many times a second. You'll see dreams, and you have to actually filter that. Yeah. And, uh, you only see the dreams that interest you. But what's fascinating to me is how different people dream from me. Dreams aren't something out here that we often talk to each other right, about. Right. Um, I don't go to work and say, hey, colleagues, this is the dream I had last night. You not believe what I dreamed last and night. And if I tell my, my uh, like department chair, hey, I had a dream about you last night, she she gets creeped out. <laughs> yeah, like that's weird, Yeah, there, there's a harassment suit yeah. just waiting to happen. Shut your mouth. Um, and so we don't talk to each other, so I don't know how other people dream. And as I'm uh, reading, just again, high level, I don't know who these people are. It's all anonymous. Right. It's great. aggregated. So yeah. <laughs> no privacy issues there. But, uh, but as I'm reading through other people's dreams, I think it's fascinating how different uh, other people dream than I dream and how – what's the word? Uh, how intricately they, they remember their dreams. Yeah, how some are really good at remembering all the detail. Yeah. Yeah. Because I don't – I know I'm having dreams. I don't remember them. But like we talked about in the first segment, you you can it's – it's like a muscle. It's a strength. You, it's, a, it's something you can acquire and strengthen and, and get better at. And what's interesting is as you record your dream, typically you'll go into that recording session, I guess you could call it, uh, thinking, oh, I've got like 10 percent still stuck in my memory. Mm-hmm. But as you go and start recording it, it starts filling back in Interesting. and you get back out to 60% or 90% of oh, your yeah. dream. And you may even remember parts of your dream that you didn't remember. I don't know uh-huh. if that sounds right. But when you woke up, you didn't remember that piece. But as you go back and record it, you you see those pieces that you were missing. Does the app – so the app doesn't actually interpret the dream, does it? Or does it? So we have an interpretation feature. When you enter your freeform text, uh, just the narrative of your dream, you can hit a button that says decode, and it will go through all of that and immediately parse out, uh, select out all the words that match words or phrases in our dream dictionary, okay. which I think is up to 9,000 uh, words and phrases. Really? Yeah, and so it will turn those all into um, links, and if you hover over that link, it will say, hey, here's what this means to most people. Uh, do you agree? And it'll tell you the percent of agreement right now. Oh, wow. And you can then say no, and then the percent of agreement drops. Or yes, and the percent of agreement Excellent. increases. And you can also go to your uh, dream bank and see all the dreams you've ever recorded and cl- click on a decode feature. And it'll show all of the full descriptions of every uh, symbol in your dream and what they all mean. How awesome. And – we have a uh, YouTube channel now we're building with a dozen or two um, dreams that uh, or videos that provide interpretations of dreams. So if you, so if you've got the naked running naked at the airport, we have that one. Do you? Really? Yeah, we have a video for that. I've had that one many. I've had that dream a lot. <laughs> and so th- then you that video will go in and, and someone will be teaching you an interpretation of what the symbols are and what exactly. it might be meaning. It might, might is the feel, key word. Yeah. What it might be meaning. So for you and for me, running around naked might be something totally different. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Um, one is a one is a misdemeanor, and the other <laughs> is just somebody that's nervous or vulnerable. Exactly. And so we have a video where it's just cartoony. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, it's very professionally done, but it's a cartoon, and it's a dreamer and a therapist sitting next to each other. Dreamer tells about the dream. You see it all animated, cool. person running through the streets naked or whatever, and then the therapist says, okay, well, let's dissect this for you. Here's Here are the few different things that could mean. Wow. You may want to consider X, Y, Z as as possible actions to take. So are these symbols that we have in our dreams, are they universal globally, or are they? is there something different in a dream from somebody in Nigeria – 
does you know does the goat mean something different in Nigeria than it would here in the United States? So this is a point of research uh, for a long time now: uh, symbols and dreams, and if there's a universal meaning. And the answer is typically it's very contextual. Hmm. So again, if you dream about a goat and I dream about a goat, even though we're probably from very similar cultures, yeah. it could mean something different. totally different. And that's why in our app we we recommend to people uh, we're not providing a direct interpretation of your dream. It's really we're trying to give you insights as to what possibly could be going on, what it might mean. The only one who can really interpret is, is, you, is you and yeah. maybe your therapist if you, as you work with them. Well, yeah, you don't want, you don't want this thing to eventually say, uh, yeah, you, you're probably going to lose your job today. Yeah, that would not be good. <laughs> although. <laughs> although you might be afraid of it. Although, no. So the way we're going with machine learning and predictive analytics, as we gather more and more of this data and yeah. we have millions and millions of, of dreams entered in, and we see how those dreams are associated with waking life because we actually have a section for that where you can link something that happened in your real life to one of your dreams. Oh, interesting. So as we link those and we let the machine train on those uh, connections, yeah. we can then say, oh, you dreamed about a goat last night? Yeah. Well, in 50% of cases, that ends up leading to – Because I guess that's part of the point, right? As humans, we're picking up – a ton of data all day long. We don't con- know what to do with conscious it. Conscious and subconscious. Yeah. And then we don't know what to do with it. But in the middle of the night, we're told that our brain is kind of organizing. It's, yeah, it's reprocessing. It's reprocessing, aligning all of the data, yeah. which many would think is why we're starting to think about certain things in certain ways. And so it might be a, a kind of an, a way to uncover subconscious data that you know. That's the idea. That's powerful. So, this this company, You Dreamed, is actually owned by a company called Unconscious Cognition. Oh, wow. Um, and the whole uh, agenda, I don't know if that's the right word, the, the goal of Unconscious Cognition is to take not only dreams, but all unconscious thought and find patterns in those thought and make it so you can leverage your unconscious mind. Mm. Because pretty much we do what our conscious minds tell us, and there's research to show we actually act on a lot of our unconscious thoughts, we just don't recognize that it is coming or what its origin is. Interesting. So if we can find ways to uh, make visible and apparent the unconscious. Well, and this is just targeting dreams, but I guess eventually you can target other things, day promptings in the middle of the day. I mean, you can, this, this technology is going to just keep advancing. It sounds like. That's the idea. We have, we have functionality already built in there to um, help understand insights, inspirations, revelations, visions, um, all sorts of things like that. Because again, in the West, we're not as into the dreams as maybe the rest of the world, but um, that's that's actually huge. It doesn't mean the value – the data won't be incredibly valuable to the Westerners that just think we know more. And what I'm excited about is to see this – quantification of dreams change the perspective of the West. Interesting. Where they begin to see value in dreams and begin to see dreams as actual empirical data Mm -hmm. uh, that can be leveraged for value. I Again, everybody thinks I'm crazy, but when I go to bed, I can – if I have something that I need to write, if I think about it intently, focused clarity on what I need before I go to bed, I can probably 80 percent of the time – have my brain work on it while I'm asleep and I can wake up with clarity and immediately go write my four points. Newton, Einstein, Da Vinci, all yeah. these guys, Benjamin Franklin, uh, all these guys, 
went to bed with with the intent to leverage their dreams. It's documented that these that guys amazing? used their dreams yeah. to invent and to uh, to find inspiration. Yeah, but they were just kind of successful people. <laughs> Can you imagine? So where does it go from here? I guess now you've got to actually roll it out. Now you got to you got to launch. You got to launch yeah. it. You haven't even launched it yet. Uh, where do you see it going? I guess it'll just be in app stores around. So, yeah, it's in app stores right now, Android and iOS. Uh, you dreamed with a U, not a Y-O-U. It's just you dreamed. Um, and it's on the internet. You can go browse to it, youdream.com. But the intent is to roll it out in the U.S. because it's all in English right yeah. now. But uh, this month, we're going to push it out in India, actually. I mean, and th- just Nigeria. that right there will blow your database up. Are you I, ready for I that? I would love for our database to break, but it won't because we're – You're good. Yeah, <laughs> You're we've, covered. We've – Made it to scale yeah. uh, seamlessly. Um, but I'm so excited to see what we learn out of the U.S. Uh, we're going to India. We're going to Nigeria. We're going to do a big East Coast push. That's where a lot of the team is actually is in uh, Massachusetts, Georgia. Hmm. Yeah. Um, now, by the way, India, is just they're more known to get into dreams. Oh, yes. And Nigeria. Definitely. So you're, you're just going to the dream-rich countries. Exactly. We also have ties there. Uh, so our the student from Harvard – uh, his family is all from Nigeria. Oh, wow. Yeah, and our developers, we have some in India. Um, and so – but these are dream-rich. In in India, in, in Nigeria, in other countries in the world, uh, not the U.S. typically, but uh, people, they'll have dreams and then they'll immediately act on them. They'll yeah. they'll make business decisions based on dreams. They'll make life-altering, career-altering uh, decisions based on their dreams. Well, what's powerful is you could also take that data set. They have a dream. They act on it or they intend to act on it. Then you could actually follow up and see what happened when you acted on it and was there – did it come to fruition? Did something – was there a benefit to acting on a prompted – Thought in a dream. That's the, that's the idea. How so cool. as part of the record uh, feature, we ask, what do you think caused this dream? And then we ask, what are you going to do because of it? And often the, the answer is, oh, nothing. I'm not going to take any action. But mm, about 50% of the time, people say, oh, I'm going to be a better friend. I'm going to start exercising more regularly. I'm going to get an early start on that's something cool. or whatever. Yeah. And then we say, is there anything in your waking life that seems to be connected to this dream? And if not now come back in a week yeah. or come back in three years and then we'll be able to make those connections. How cool. Talk, um, uh, just give us a, a little taste of what are some of the most common themes in dreams. Maybe show us if we're normal or not. Sure. <laughs> you and me? Yeah. Uh, yeah, we're, we're normal for ourselves. Uh, the funny right. thing about dreaming is it's very personal, it's very totally individual. It's to you. Um, but there are patterns. So we've noticed that the, one of the main patterns in dreams is running around naked, yeah. not being able to find your classroom, which uh, interestingly but not surprisingly is uh, there's a time pattern to that. It happens right before school starts, obviously. So a lot of the kids will start getting yes. that one. Here right it is, now. August. We're going to start having a lot of those dreams. One that I've never had but people report constantly is dreaming about your teeth falling out. Oh, wow. I've never had that dream. Um, that sounds like a drug addiction problem. Something. I don't know. Interesting. Uh, there's dreaming about dead people, mm-hmm. um, having relatives come and visit you in your dreams uh, who have already passed on. Yeah. Uh, there are relationship dreams, quite a few of those. I broke up with my girlfriend, boyfriend, whatever. And uh, what does that mean? Or, or cheating dreams. You mm. see your significant other cheating on somebody, but you have no suspicions of them actually having. Like in real oh, life, you have no yeah. suspicions. And people get wor- worried about those. Uh, very common dream. Each one of those could become really interesting studies. 
Oh, yeah. They're fascinating. In and of themselves. Like, did you – was there data in the end that there was cheating or, or is that just your insecurity right. about your relationship? What Specific do you to, to that dream, the answer uh-huh. is no. Usually it's not about cheating right. at all. Isn't that amazing? It's usually about insecurities. Yeah. It, yeah. It's kind of generally more about us than the other. Right. Our fears, our insecurities. Cool stuff. Well, James, keep up the great work. I'm going to go download it right now. Cool. And, uh, and then you watch for my data. Mine always involves I, I a dragon. Know, I won't know it's you. <laughs> look but for the dragon. Look for the dragons. Because that's always me. It's always All a right. dragon. Dr. James Gaskin is his name. Go check out, uh, go look for the web or the app, You Dreamed, You Dreamed with the letter U. Uh, at all of your app stores. And we'll have you back, James. I want to have you back in a year, and get, you can give us the latest and greatest on the data. That'd be great. Thanks. Good stuff, folks. Uh, we'll continue this discussion, help you understand you, which is part of the goal of the Matt Townsend Show. Continue listening. We're, we're uh, doing what we can to help you find and be the good in the world. Back to, uh, I mean, dreams are one thing, but if you're driving down the road and all of a sudden a, a body on a gurney flies out of the back of a van, what do you do? Well, in our empty news today, Jeff will uh, walk us through a story where this actually happened. Yeah, it's crazy. I mean, just imagine you're driving down the freeway and, you know, we've no talked about, we've run over ladders, we've run over tools, all sorts of other things of that nature, but never anything quite like this. Police say a gurney holding a dead body fell from the back of a coroner's van into Olympia traffic. Whoa. The van was heading back to the county coroner's office Monday after responding to a home death. Olympia Police Department uh, Lieutenant Paul Lower says two gurneys fell out of the van. The gurney holding the deceased person was found in the intersection, Uh, while the second gurney rolled down the street and was found in a parking lot. Hey, so Jerry, where'd you put that body? (laughs) What was that? Come again? Yeah, I, I don't know if the if somebody thought he was trying to save a good parking spot or something by putting a, a gurney there. There's a gurney in the intersection with a dead body on it. Right. Oh. Hmm. Lower says officers uh, rerouted traffic while the coroner's office was notified and returned uh, to load the gurneys back into the van. County coroner's office says an investigation has started to determine the cause of the incident. He says there was no trauma to the body. And the family was notified. Oh, can you imagine? That's hard. That's a hard call. And no trauma except, yeah, you know, he was dead. Yeah. And sitting in the middle of the intersection for 20 minutes. <laughs> so uh, maybe now the family will sue this company for $50,000 for physic- physical damages to the corpse or psychological damages uh, to, the, to the corpse. Oh, boy. Another lawsuit potentially. Well, thank you, Jeff. Empty news. The news you didn't know you needed to know. Uh, we'll continue the journey next hour. More fun straight ahead. This is the Matt Townsend Show. You're listening to us on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, friends, and welcome to the Dr. Matt Show right here with uh, Jeffrey Liam Simpson and Terry South. The gang is all here. Jeffrey on keyboard, Terry on the bass, and I will be um, singing the blues. Not the blues because there's nothing. 
It's Thursday, for heaven's sakes. Thursday means one day before Friday, which means another day before Saturday and Sunday. See? Exactly. It means you're getting ready for the weekend. You've already hit the hard part of the week. Now it's just the fun part of the week. The rest is just gravy. I mean, everybody knows you don't work on Friday, even when you're working. Exactly. And some don't work on Thursday. And then there's Jeff. And, you know, Wednesday's so close to Thursday, maybe we should just phone it in Wednesday, too. Well, yeah. And while we're at it. And then nobody likes Mondays, so give us some time to get caught up. Yeah, so really, Tuesday's the day to work. Yes. Yeah. This is great. A little psychology for you. Go try to run that one by your boss. Although, uh, the uh, 4th of July this year was on a Tuesday, so that we didn't have to work Tuesday then either. Mm. So nothing got done that week, basically. Oh, yeah. It was a really bad week. That's, you know, maybe why so many people are having trouble with, uh, you know, keeping jobs, the economy. Stuff's crazy right now. Uh, I mean, good. A lot of people are doing really well. Today we're going to be talking uh, with a, 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 one of our contributors, um, Jeanette Bennett, will be joining us talking about business and leadership. She'll be giving us some of her latest and greatest insights. She's the editor-in-chief of three magazines, Utah Valley Magazine, Business Q Magazine, and Prosper Magazine. She's going to give us some uh, insight. That's what we need. Like maybe uh, show up the whole week to work? Yeah. Some would say don't just show up It's kind of a radical idea, but, you know, she might share that with us. She might. I mean, and there may be some great logic to it. You might get fired, too, so be careful. Uh, We also are going to continue uh, discussing some of the empty news, news you didn't know you needed to know, including um, a a woman found hiding in a bed of a pickup truck that she says, and she says she was just looking at the stars. Uh, It's 12 o'clock noon, (laughs) ma'am. Well, with the stars that'll come out tonight, I just wanted to get a good spot in the truck. Yeah. (laughs) You you, want to be early to the truck. So we'll get to all of that fun. Uh, plus, continuing the journey, uh, we'll be visiting with our good buddies at BYU Sports Nation. We're going to find out what's coming up on Sports Nation, BYU Sports Nation, at the top of the hour. So we get to meet with Spencer and Jerem. They're going to give us uh, the rundown there. Also, we'll get caught up on Spencer's wonderful trip to Disneyland. And we're Lucky. going we're, we're to do a little Lucky. tribute. little tribute to Disneyland. And then a hero story that we'll be getting to as well. Um, we, love, we love celebrating the heroes. Right? And, and who better to celebrate than our hero, Terry South, with the headlines. Terry, give us a heroic headline segment. Steve Bannon may have had a Scaramucci moment. The mooch! Did you hear about this this morning? No. White House Chief of Staff stra- or Chief oh, Strategist Steve Bannon, I called him Chief of Staff. He kind of is in some levels, but he's Chief Strategist. Called the alt-right a collection of clowns in a Tuesday afternoon phone call with Robert Kuttner of left-leaning magazine The American Prospect. Ethno-nationalism is lo- it's losers. It's a fringe element. I think the media plays it up too much, and we got to help crush it. You know, uh, help crush it more. This crush is- it. See, he didn't. He didn't think this was an interview. He didn't think it was on the record. But the guy's like, you got to. He knows who I am. He You're goes, on the record until you say, "Is this off the record? This yeah. is off the record." He also said on North Korea that there's no military solution. There's no way that they could stop North Korea before they just devastate Seoul, South Korea. Yeah, but, in a military strike. Well, does the president know this? Because the president, because the top advisor ought to be telling his president this stuff. Yeah, possibly. 
Boy, yeah, and this might get him fired. And then it says Bannon is shocked that his comments were published. I saw a writing saying, you know, because uh, there's all these rumors that Bannon may get fired. Yeah. They asked Trump, what about Bannon? He goes, he's a great guy. He's a wonderful person. You know, you got to love him. Yeah. So um, what they're thinking, though, is this may be Bannon's attempt to either push Trump to fire him so you don't have to keep hearing yeah. about it, or solidify himself by showing, like, look, I even did this and hey, I didn't get fired. I called I'm untouchable. Them all, I called them racist losers. Now fire me. He can't fire him now. Right. If you fire him now, well, I think I think the press would still be okay with him firing. Yeah, but, so. Hmm, more, interesting. More Bannon stuff. Um, citizens of the U.S., allies including uh, Japan, South Korea, Germany, Greece, Turkey, Hungary, France, Spain, Italy, and Sweden. Wow, Sweden's in there. Trust Russian President Vladimir Putin more than President Trump, according to a Pew Research poll. Yeah, but that's just fake news. Is it? Yeah. Although citizens of these countries are very leery of Putin, they have greater trust in him than, than Trump to do the right thing regardless of world affairs. Wow. We got a bunch of real dummies. Of 36 countries surveyed, 22 reported trusting Putin more. Well, maybe this is why Trump trusts Putin so much. Is that what it is? Because everyone know. else does? Yeah. Did they give this response under duress? Yes, they were all, okay. like, handcuffed. And, That's amazing. <laughs> More people are trusting, according to Pew. Well, but at the same time, if you look at it, Trump Pepe has had multiple different opinions on world affairs and different areas. He's in, he's out. He's, yeah. And Putin's probably pretty consistent on where he stands. Yeah. He, he's so people the, know where he's going to be. So maybe, yeah, what this is, trust is about consistently consistency. Right. And trust is also about competency. So they may feel he's more competent. They may not trust his character, but... Putin may be more competent at del- delivering a consistent message. Yeah. Huh. Okay. We'll see. Wow. And, and, and to a guy who may be running for president but says he's not running for president, Facebook's Mark Zuckerberg, oh. he said Wednesday he vowed to remove violent threats and posts celebrating hate crimes from social, uh, the social network, Facebook, and more and more as more and more technology companies seek to crack down on white supremacists in the wake of Charlottesville. He goes, we won't always be perfect, but you have my commitment that we will keep working to make Facebook a place where everyone can feel safe. Wow. And then Apple CEO... Got to wait for it. Tim uh, Tim Cook has Tim reportedly Cook. pledged to donate a million dollars each to the Southern Poverty Law Center and the Anti-Defamation League as he urges employees to be unequivocal about recent violence in Charlottesville. In a note to company employees on Wednesday, Cook also promised to match employee donations to human rights organizations on a two-to-one basis through wow. September 30th. So all these corporate leaders are getting involved at a level that, like, we didn't see them get this involved in Black Lives Matter. No. But we also didn't have the president saying what he said or didn't saying what he said. So right. Tim Cook, that's interesting because he's on the president's tech committee. For now. Well, yeah. We'll see what happens unless, to that. Unless he disbands the committee. Yeah, because the tech committee, they have a lot of inside pressure from their companies, but their their heads are standing strong saying we need to be in the conversation. Yeah. If we're not on these committees, we're not going to be able to talk to him. Right. You, you, that's my rule. Except do you think Trump's not going to take the phone call from the head of Apple? If he calls up and says, hey, well, he will, and then he'll tell everybody, yeah, Tim's cook, Cook's calling me for business ideas all the time. I don't know. You think he could get him <laughs> on the phone? It's a big company. Um, and finally, uh, Telegraph reports uh, thieves in Germany made off with more than 22 tons of Nutella over the weekend. Really? The Nutella, along with uh, Kinder 
surprise eggs. Those are the uh, chocolate eggs that are mm. all across Europe with toys inside. Oh, yeah. I think they're banned here because people yeah, will you'll choke, choke on, on them. them. Apparently, they're more sophisticated there. They don't choke on their toys. Their children candy. know how to take Those stuff. toys are good, though. And other sweet treats. He goes, was, they were in a refrigerated trailer that was towed away by the thieves. The entire haul is said to be worth somewhere between $58,000 and $82,000. And police have a warning for the sugar-loving residents. Anyone offered large quantities of chocolate via unconventional channels should report it immediately to the police. Speaking of channels, wow. if you black see any, market chocolate. If you see anybody making a YouTube video bathing in Nutella, then that would be a red flag for to not eat that bath water. Well, and that Nutella? maybe he was the culprit. Oh, ah, good point. Or if there's like ninety baths happening at the same time. Exactly. Who would take off. a bath in Nutella? That guy on YouTube that did it. I know. That was crazy. Yeah. What a waste of Nutella. Looked like he was having a good time, though. Really? Yeah. It was a lot of chocolate. Yeah. Hazelnut chocolate, by the way. Mm. He got a lot of views. Yeah. He also probably has... He's going to break out. Yeah. <laughs> Major <laughs> breakout. I mean, it's not... Yeah. Or is it exfoliating? It's tough to tell. Maybe he's just muddy. Not unless the nuts are in the uh, Nutella. True, yeah. true. I want my Nutella chunky. Mm. chunky. They should make it chunky and smooth. I bet they will. Now that we brought that up, they'll be chunky Nutella. Great. You just let all the good ideas just throw Darn them out it. there. Okay. I just I I just copyrighted that idea. Oh, really? Okay. Chunky Nutella. Chunky Nutella. Mm. Uh, did you guys cover this while I was coughing and having a fit about um, the, trunk, the Trump chicken? Um, no, but I no. saw it. Thought it was hilarious. There apparently people have been taunting the president. And a chicken, a huge inflatable chicken, like it's like, 10, like, like a 15, Macy's 20 feet parade yeah. level balloon. Balloon. This is a balloon that you, an inflatable with, device with gold hair is is being placed all over the Capitol. <laughs> now, what what they did is several weeks ago is they put it just behind. There's a place, a public place behind the White House. Yeah. So you set it up there, and they they did their homework and found out that there's these cameras that all the cable networks use <laughs> that's right across the street from the White House. So when they talk about the White House, you get this sort of static shot of the front of the White House. And over the back, you see this big chicken. Yeah, but it's a big chicken with gold hair that yeah. that is formed in the shape of Trump's hair. Yes. So you kind of know it's it's the Trump hair. You know what YouTube video would have more views than any other? What? Well, you know how KFC has this campaign where they keep changing the colonels? Donald Trump as Colonel Sanders. Oh, that would, would be have great. billions of views. Oh, yeah. And he loves he loves the chicken. Yeah. From Colonel Sanders. Who doesn't? Yeah. Vegetarians love. By the way, you can't you can't see. <laughs> I'm on. not kidding. You can't talk about chicken. You're on a diet. I can talk about it. He had pizza yesterday. We're supposed to talk about he had good. pizza and spaghetti. I only had one slice of pizza. They said, only take two slices. I only took one. That, that showed really him. That, that was, showed him. That was really good of you. You, uh, By the way, you're losing weight. You're totally disappearing. How much weight have you lost? Uh, over four pounds, 4.7 pounds. And you still have how much time to lose the other five pounds? 18 or 19 days. Holy cow. I've lost. Hold it. Hold it. Uh, Hold it. I have 3.8 pounds to go. Man. And I've already lost more than that. I've lost over four pounds. So if you lose more weight on this this app where you invested, you paid $30. If you lose 20 pounds instead of eight pounds. I don't get any more money. 
<laughs> Bummer, because I'm thinking you can In be fact, a millionaire. There is a you can't lose more than a certain percentage, oh, yeah. or you, you're disqualified. Because then it's fake. You're lying. You're you're a no, cheater. or you're doing something Illegal. completely unhealthy. Yeah, or maybe you're getting your stomach stapled. You know. Well, yeah, but don't you have to send before and after photos of you? Mm-hmm. Like in a loincloth? Is that what you do? No, no. Good. Just basketball shorts. You're good. That's really good. So, well, congratulations. You're, you look great. And I like the new use of uh, muscle tees. That's cool. That you've got, he's wearing all these kind <laughs> he, of he's muscle wearing, They're called medium. They're small, medium. Uh-huh. Yeah. But he kind of needs a smarge. Yeah. I mean, I'm, he needs a smarge, but he's wearing a medium. On my show tomorrow, I'm going to pull a whole Colgan and I'm going to rip it off. Oh, boy. Sorry I won't be here for that. Are you going to shoot video of it? You ought to live stream that on Facebook. Okay. I also have huge news that I'm going to share tomorrow, but only tomorrow and only on my show. Are you pregnant? Are you expecting? He's doing Not a, you. He's doing you, a gender family? reveal on the show. Are you going to reveal the baby's gender of the baby that you don't have yet? That only happened to one man. One man. It's not a baby. No, he said it's not a tumor. It's not. Oh, that's right. In kindergarten cop. Yeah. But tumor and baby, not even. Actually, fairly close. No. Foreign body growing within you. Yeah. Sucking life force out of you. No. Yeah, absolutely. No. Hey, I wonder if my wife is listening. No, nothing more beautiful than a gift from heaven. Mm. Have you tried KFC? Ah, got a point. That is beautiful. Hey, back to the 30-foot Chicken Don. Oh, They're calling it the Chicken Don. Well, that was a tangent and a half. Go ahead. Yeah, you guys really distracted me. Um, It's so this – It's a filmmaker. Yeah, it's a a filmmaker that keeps putting the Chicken Don all over the place. Uh, His name is Singh Brar, I think, is the – is the – what do they call it? The documentary. The responsible party. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But uh, I guess they're just going to keep putting it up all over the place, and it'll be a backdrop of a lot of visuals throughout, I guess, just Washington. This just in breaking news, the Department yeah. of Justice now investigating Chicken Don. Chicken Don. Who's responsible? What the, What's what, the point? What is the message? Are they trying to say that he is chicken, or are they trying to say that he has juicy thighs? He's, he's just another white meat. I think they're trying to say, look, uh, this chicken looks like Donald Trump. Okay. Yeah. Well, we talked earlier in the first hour about how Donald fall. He's easily triggered. Yes. And I'm sure nobody wants a huge – nobody wants a picture of the White House with reporters talking about the White House and then a big chicken, right. 30-foot chicken in the back blowing in the wind. The, tri- His, the triggers are someone lying to him, criticism, and being told what to do. See, that's it. That's the criticism. His complexion that. is that of fried chicken. No. No. It's that's not? just spray tan. Oh, okay. That's just spray tan. But um, they really did, I think, nail because they they nail it's gold. Yes. I mean, gold is Donald's color, right? I mean, it's gold. It's a quality representation of the hairdo. Is it spray tan or is it the KFC uh, sunblock or sunscreen or tanner? I don't know. Speaking of KFC, I don't know what it is. Maybe if you eat enough KFC, you just take on. Well, that. it's like carrots. If you eat enough carrots, you'll turn orange. That's so true. So, huh? Is it the same thing with chicken? They anyway, should. They should be attempted. Look for it. It's Trump chicken. Do you find it amusing? Trump. I find it. I find it amusing because, in a weird way, it, it it is something that you know the president doesn't like. Oh yeah. 
Is it smart to to poke the beast with the you know? Is he smart enough to not take the bait? Yeah. On the chicken done. Hasn't he just taken the bait on a lot of things? I know, but he hasn't. Okay. I haven't heard him mention the chicken don yet. It is fun. I, it, there's a video of, on CNN. They're trying to be serious. They're talking about a serious topic, and then they go, and there's the chicken. Okay, moving on. Because it was right up there in the corner of the screen because they're looking great, at the White House. Because it just kind of gently blows in the wind. <laughs> it's so funny. The answer, my friend, they is to blowing be, in the wind. It needs to get into the Macy's parade. Oh, it will if they have their way. A humongous. It totally will. Chicken don. Don. Chicken done. Good stuff. Hey, up next, we're going to talk leadership, uh, business and leadership with one of our great uh, contributors. Jeanette Bennett will be with us. This is the Matt Townsend Show. You're listening to us on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. Okay, friends, it's time. It's time to talk leadership and business. And who better to help us do that than one of our great contributors? Jeanette Bennett's here. She's the editor-in-chief and founder of Bennett Communications, where their their company focuses on three magazines, Utah Valley Magazine, Business Q Magazine, and Prosper Magazine. Uh, Jeanette has a bachelor's and a master's degree in journalism, and she's been a regular guest on Huff Post, Huffington Post. Also uh, has beautiful children and her last baby. My baby. Uh, Lola Fern. You got it. Lola Fern is going to school. She and, sounds 90, but she's five. Yeah, she's, <laughs> but she does have a walker that she uses in <laughs> kindergarten. So is she going to kindergarten or first grade? She's going to kindergarten, but it's an all-day program. Oh, thank heavens yeah. for that. Because yeah. then, yeah, because they, they want to be growing. They want to advance. They're bored. She's bored. She's reading. She's ready to, ready she really? to learn. She's yeah. excited to have lunch at school. She's the baby child that you've probably been spoiling. Yeah. Well, she has six parents. Yeah. Six of us tell her what to do and, so and love on her. That's actually a really important thing that you could probably enlighten us. I mean, so you're a mom, but you're also a media kind of mogul. You run three magazines. You're a journalist. You're everywhere. And you're running a family. And there's a lot of crossover, actually. I bet. There I really bet is. Like running a family and running a business? Yeah. You know, there's a lot of crossover. It's, it's all leadership. It's all love. It's all people. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not like I have this eight to five life and then I turn that off and then I go home. Right. It's all a mix. I work from home. I take kids to work. It's I'm thinking about all of it all the time. Do you, and you work with your husband? We own the company together. So mm-hmm. does he is he a slacker? Does he ever work? <laughs> or do you ever have to bring him in and say, Matt, we got we to gotta talk? You're not well, cutting it, man. Well, I have said we've got to talk before. Have yeah, you? but no, it's a good it's a good situation. It is. We have an office. We have a shared office, and we thought at one point we might want to build a wall between it. So we both have a door. Oh, cool! Yeah, yeah, but yeah. But we've yeah. never built a wall. So you only have one door to the office. We have two doors. We each have a door. Oh, you each have a door. So do when you get in a fight, do you does he slam his door or your door? <laughs> Whose door does he slam? Uh, I, I'm slamming the door. It's me. So no, you were going kidding. to try to build a wall maybe and then have separate offices. But then you're like, why? We're we've, married. We share everything. We share it all. And when the kids are there, you know, there's a lot of times we're just, hey, did you remember the football pickup where, uh, you know, so-and-so just called? Yeah. we got to excuse an absence. What? Hey, yeah. Why was she gone? You yeah. know, so-and-so just got arrested. Hey, who wants to bail him out tonight? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Luckily, not too many of those. But, but yeah, so we work together. We raise a family and we raise a business. It's Which, again, that's why I love having you on because it's – Business is hard. Small business is hard. So it is hard. talk to us about what are some of the keys to running a business? What are the leadership must-haves? 
I think setting a vision is the number one thing that a leader does. They say to the team, this is, this is the goal. When we're turning a magazine in and I'll say, okay, we are going to the printer August 25th. It's got to happen. That's the day it happens. If I said the magazine's got to go to the printer August 15th, it would yeah. get done that day too. And if I said September 15th, we would be finishing it up at the very last minute. Uh. It takes what – to whatever date I say, it takes us that long. So to set the vision, this is the goal. This is what we're working towards. And I do that at home too. You know, When I say to my kids, this summer – which they loved it this summer. We're going to clean good the house. Oh, yeah. That's horrible. We're going to go through the storage room and the garage <laughs> by the time school starts and other things. You know, I had, I had some uh, uh, leadership books, actually, that I wanted him to read this summer. So I set the vision for that. Did you really? I did. You got your children reading leadership books. I gave them a stack so they could choose from the stack. Right. But they had to, they had to read them and report on them. What a mom. Did they like my my kids are reading leadership books because they're they're in student body officers or whatever and yeah. that I mean, we're still struggling getting that done. They're looking for the audios now. Right. Well, and they would say, "Can I switch it out for this fiction book, Candy Shop War, or something?" <laughs> <laughs> well, you can read Candy Shop War, and yeah. you can read Who Moved My Cheese and yeah. The Slide Edge and. All of, those, all of those books. So I think a leader says, okay, this is the vision, and then excitedly and passionately sets the vision and then holds people accountable along the way. Do you sense that the vision uh, – does the vision tend to – does it come top down because they have to set it mm-hmm. or does it come bottom up? Like do you get the vision because you're just this intuitive visionary that knows where to take it next or do you just read – the vibrations coming from your company. I mean, you've got dozens of people putting out a magazine and they've got to be giving you feedback that's percolating up. And then that, that I'm sure, inspires part of the vision. And I think that's another leadership skill is being a listener, not thinking you know everything. Asking the people who are in the trenches, and I'm in the trenches with them, so I see a lot of the things that they're seeing. But I think being a listener, but then it does take a leader to set that goal. Because you can't say, go everywhere. You can't. In a magazine, that it's expensive. So wherever you put your resources, it's got to hit. It's got to hit. You've, you've got to hit the mark. And I've found that it takes one leader. In fact, working with my husband, one of the things that I've noticed is um, if we're both in charge of something, neither one of us are in charge. It, never, it, it doesn't if, go anywhere. If someone emails both of us, the chances of them getting a response go down, which is sad. Oh, because you, you defer to him. And I'm he thinking, defers oh, to he'll you. write back. He's got more time. <laughs> I mean, he's got nothing going on. <laughs> He's not even a he's not even a mother, right? Yeah. yeah. I mean, what do dads do? Just kidding. He's <laughs> an awesome. Matt. He's yeah. an awesome dad. He he's uh, home picking up from football right now. Actually, Is he really? at, this, at this very moment. So he no, he's a great great dad. But I do think that um, there's got to be one one leader setting the vision who who is accountable and, and people respond to that. And so, and I think that that works at home too. So at home, Matt and I, you know, I before I did the book thing this summer, I told him what I was going to do, and he's like, "Yeah, that's cool." You Just know, do it. Yeah, let's do it. That'd be cool. And he suggested some of the books that were in the pile of options, and and uh, but then it was, you know, my vision, and and I hold the kids accountable. And do you, then when when the kids read the book, you sit down and they have to do a report, and then I guess that creates a really good conversation, right? And then we talk about well, what, how does that affect you? You're in eighth grade, Holy you know God. how how can you um, implement that? Or my my daughter is going to be the senior class president this fall, so a lot of it's hitting home for her. Uh, but even the younger ones, I want them to learn those skills because I didn't. Yeah. You know, I was a, a quiet little girl, loved journalism, loved reading, loved writing. And then I got thrown in leadership positions 
in my high school jobs and college, I was the editor of the newspapers and on different leadership committees and things. So I had to learn it. Mm. And so I want my children to uh, be exposed to those principles now. Yeah. Yeah. And do you, um, I mean, because like I, I remember too, I didn't, I, I, I don't know that I read a book in high school. It comes naturally. And we didn't even have the internet back there, so I had no excuse. Um, I, but I did have encyclopedias and dictionaries that I could go to to you know put together a report. But um, I read right out of high school. I read – no, right – and then I went on an LDS mission. And then right after that, I went um, – I read Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. Right. And it changed my life. And then I got to work with the man, Stephen Covey, mm-hmm. and got to teach those principles. And so I remember kind of a dream coming true of, of reading the book, having the goal, and then it coming to fruition about eight years later, seven years later. Mm-hmm. Wow. It happened. And mm-hmm. so to have your kids learning that in eighth grade? That book was one of the ones in the pile. They didn't pick that one. I'll have to maybe require that in the future. Have them read the teen's book. That's okay. a little I'll easier. I'll have to grab that one. Yeah. Stephen Covey was one of my favorite interviews. It was really? because I had studied his book, mm-hmm. and so many of his phrases have become yeah. part of our culture and our language. And uh, he exhibited those principles. Oh, he, he totally carried did. my bag to the car at the end. Did he really? He was. Did you check for 70s. your wallet? Because sometimes he would do that. <laughs> we probably needed my ten bucks. <laughs> yeah, he did. You know? He he, but he totally lived it to the T. Mm-hmm. Like I remember being in a meeting that he didn't feel was going well, and he kind of stopped it, and we had a prayer. Wow. Because he felt like we were all kind of off target and wow. and contentious, and it was That's amazing. Impressive. I mean, it was like who does that in a business meeting? That's impressive. And so that's leadership. And by the way, going back to vision, he knew his vision. He he and his family had like a I can't remember it was it was a one or two three word mission statement. And he said anytime anyone else would use that phrase. It's like they were using it in vain. They had no idea what that meant. What that meant. Because that family wow. had spent so much time talking about it. Right. In his home, he has this two-story library with, with quotes and verses and things inscribed in the wall. Wow. And I came home and said, okay, we need a new house with a two-story library. Yeah, you need a library. <laughs> Did you make one? Did you tear out the, one of the kids' Not yet. Rooms? Not yet. But, but when they move on, you can do it. But we do post quotes on post-it notes and little cut-up pieces of paper. But I loved that he surrounded himself with the principles he wanted to exhibit. That was a lesson to me. That, that probably didn't come naturally for him either. Right. He taught himself those things. No, totally. And then he's taught the rest of us that as well. And he's so family-oriented. There's so many great stories in some of his books about his kids. So if he were ever on the phone, um, one time he got interrupted at dinner and there was a rule that the family had made that there's no phone calls, no business can be transacted during dinner because it's sacred. Dinner, family time is dinner time. And he took, he had to take a phone call. Like it was for a big deal. It was to close one of his biggest deals. And uh, while he was on the phone, his kids, he had violated the rules. So the kids came over and they took peanut butter and they they made a peanut butter and jelly sandwich on his head. Oh, my goodness. Because he's bald. Head, his right? bald head. And they made the sandwich and put it all together for him. And he had to just take it because it was back in the day when you, he had a corded phone that he couldn't go anywhere. <laughs> and he didn't want to make noise. So he just covered the thing and they just made a mockery of him. Oh, my goodness. And he just took it. He could have been mad. He could have been – but he broke the rules. Yeah, so there are I guess consequences there's leadership, that. right? So you set down the culture and right. he had a family culture where we hold each other accountable. Mm. Good for it's him. It's pretty cool. That is cool. I mean it'd be like I, I can't see your kids doing that to you. You uh, have peanut butter in your hair. No, and I will say I violated that rule. I've had my phone at the table. Oh, nowadays it's even harder it right. seems like. 
How do you how do you lead in with technology? How do you lead at work? How do you lead at home to make it so we don't get five hundred emails? How do you lead that? Oh, I'm still working on that. One of our family rules is, and I think a lot of families have this, is the phones go in the kitchen at night, and on Sundays they're supposed to stay in the kitchen as well. So you can look at it. You, know, you just have you, to you be might, in the kitchen. Yeah, you might get a text from grandma, maybe, yeah. you know, or something like that. Fern. Fern might call from heaven. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, but you know, they're supposed to stay in the kitchen so that we can hopefully have family night. Because there's been those unfortunate times where you look around the room and we are all, we're all together and we're all on our phones. It's and it's so pathetic. True. Isn't that sad? And you're texting each other. Right. <laughs> have you seen this? <laughs> right. Instead of using words, you're like, you've got to see this video. Yeah. Right. But then this is what's so strange. In that same – we've done this recently too where we all sit around. It's a really fun family night where you you can put uh, your favorite YouTube. You just you, – anyone can throw it up onto our Apple TV. And now cool. everybody can share their funniest stuff and I it like creates that. a cool moment. Right. So we have moments like that where you can – benefit. But then if you're not careful, all of a sudden you're just vegging in a room together. It's so true. And I think adults and teenagers alike are struggling with that. Yeah. Uh, we have a family group text that it's that's useful and funny. And so I like bonding with the kids over that, you that's know, cool. where, we, where we share cool things. And then uh, there's a Facebook page for my extended family, my siblings, and also Matt's. And, and so technology can be a very personal, very bonding, very fun thing. If you lead it. If you lead out and if you have some boundaries that you set and keep. it's good stuff. Okay, Jeanette, let's take a break. We're speaking with Jeanette Bennett, uh, who is the founder and editor-in-chief at Bennett Communications. And uh, they run three three magazines, Utah Valley Magazine, Business Q Magazine, and Prosper Magazine. We'll continue the leadership and business discussion as well as how do you manage a family at the same time? Can you get it all done? Of course you can. Uh, Jeanette's doing it with five children in tow and a husband in tow. Or right, he's in the most co, co, co leadership. I'm bringing him along. That's right. <laughs> we'll continue the discussion up next. This is the Matt Townsend Show. You're listening to us right here on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. We're talking with uh, Jeanette Bennett, and uh, Jeanette is the owner and editor-in-chief of Utah Valley Magazine, also Business Q Magazine and Prosper Magazine, uh, and by the way, Bride Magazine as well. Different magazines targeted to different groups of people. Exactly. But uh, you're the editor-in-chief. You work it with your publisher husband, Matt Bennett. Um, and who we love, and you just keep bringing him along. I mean, somebody's got to get Matt to heaven, and it's not going to be Matt. <laughs> Might as well be me. <laughs> May as well be you. Oh, and you have five have a good partnership. beautiful kids in tow as well. Oh, I think they're beautiful, yes. Yep, they range in age from, my oldest is 19, living yeah. in Mexico on oh a mission. Oh, my gosh. And then my youngest is five. Lola Fern, who's now going to kindergarten right. all day. My little reader. Your little reader that has the name of an 85-year-old. She does. She's Be- a cutie, But what, what a cute name, Lola Fern. It's, she's named after two great grandmas, a Lola and a Fern, and uh, she's she's spicy. She's funny. She's a prankster. Is she? Yeah. Wonder where she gets that. Uh, dad. Dad. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. Don't wonder. Don't, don't wonder. wonder. <laughs> it's it's totally dad. Uh, you're talking to us about leadership. One of the keys you brought up is vision, and vision. It's the same thing because leadership is a business idea. We always kind of think of it as the business model, but really. Right. It's a mother model. It's a father model. It's, it's everywhere. We need vision in everything we do. 
I think leadership is, it comes down to that. It comes down to setting a goal, setting a vision, and then motivating others to get on board for that same vision. What is leadership? I think that's what it is. I think that's using persuasive powers, momentum, motivation to get everyone headed in the same direction. Because if we have a vision and no one's following us. Are you a leader? Are you really a leader? You're just a visionary. You're you're just a... So the visionary is the ability, I guess, to see the vision. The leader is the one that can then get people to follow. Right. And I don't think that is easy. No. And I don't think it comes natural to most people, but I do think it it can be a learned skill set. So you could be born a leader where you just have inherent traits, extroversion... The that, ability I think to, that helps. You know, to be a good friend. Right. Yeah. People who are charming and confident, they have a leg up on the rest yeah. of us, I think. you know, Because you do want to be around those I people. I hate them. <laughs> <laughs> there's some people that are so naturally good at that. Right. And then there's others. Like I'm more of an introvert. It sounds no. weird. No, nobody believes that. But I'd rather be alone in a dark room reading. Oh, I'm with you on that. You know what I mean? Sometimes I dream about being alone in a cabin for a week. <laughs> By the way, last hour we had a whole segment on dreams. There's a new app that, that came out of BYU. You, you dream. You, you dreamed, I think. And you ought to go look it up because maybe being alone in a cabin. Says uh, something. Uh, yeah. What's his name? Um, the Unabomber was alone in a cabin for years. Ooh, okay. <laughs> now, Just see where that takes you. Now we've worried you. everyone. <laughs> we've worried everyone. So I think there are some natural traits like that extrovert nature and the charm. But there's more to it than that. Right. Because sometimes that personality type doesn't have the follow through or the consistency. Um, because if you set the vision, you've got to see it through, right? You can't just get bored with the vision and wander off. Right. Or, or everyone's like, I'm going to go golfing we, now. Yeah. And like, everyone's like, are we still going this direction? Because right. where'd you go? And I guess the vision is more than, it's more than just, is it, it or is it? Is it more than just an X point that we've got to reach? Like you have a deadline and you'll say the deadline is, is September 15th or whatever. That's part of the vision, I guess. But that's almost part of the management more. The vision is more like, isn't it what we want the magazine to exude? What feeling we want right. to be? What, what our standards, our vision, our mission, our values, our purpose? Right. That so seems visionary I think leadership. So too. So it's grander than just a deadline. It's also, in my case, making sure everyone on the team, even if you're the one who answers phones or, or uh, takes subscription orders, that our vision as a team is we produce the best magazine in the Valley and we bring out happiness and we highlight success yeah. and we show people examples of families that are working. And, and um, so that's the vision. And then the tasks that lead up to that are, are going to be different for each person. But if everyone can see the vision, they yep. see how they fit into it. And then they can actually adapt based on the day-to-day scenarios. Does this fit the vision or not? Right. Then, then you don't have to make every decision. Mm-mm. The decisions can be made down on the levels they need to be made. Oh, and I love that. Because then you're developing other leaders in your, in your chain of command right. or in your family. And the tighter you get that, it seems like, the more connected to vision everybody mm-hmm. is – in a way, the easier your job becomes because then you can focus on what's essential in your role. Right. Your role, you shouldn't be answering every question. Exactly. You, you've That's hired exhausting. people to do this. Uh-huh. Exhausting. So, but you've got to get it somehow in their heart. Right. You have to set the vision, create the culture, and in a home too. So, for example, you know, as a family, we want to be – the place, and hopefully we are, that people feel comfortable coming, family members and friends. Yeah. So that's the overall vision. Then I love it when I see my 13-year-old son, when someone's at our house, he brings them a cup of ice water. He's because now serving and th- making that happen. Right. And I didn't tell him to do that, but he, he saw the overall vision. That's huge. We want grandma and grandpa or neighbors or home teachers, whoever's yeah. there, 
to feel like, oh, we're at the Bennett's. We're comfortable. It's this cool. is this, Yeah. And but interestingly, you didn't have to tell him to do that. You didn't have to. But he's probably seen you do that. And my husband, my husband's good at that. Is he? Yeah, he is good at that. Matt's a good guy. He's a great guy. Holy cow. Okay, one more question. Um, what would you say is the one thing that we can all do today to be a better leader in our and visionary in our home and in our workplace? How do we bring it to, to right. an action? I think one thing that stops us from moving forward as leaders in our homes and businesses is this desire for perfection. Yeah. And I think it stops us from taking action sometimes. If we don't have it all figured out, then sometimes we don't say it or we don't do it. And I think the leaders that I've interviewed and studied, sometimes they they just know enough to move forward and they know they're 90% good. But if they waited till it was perfect to send this out or to announce this or to bring it up, uh, things wouldn't happen. So I think we've got right. to get past that. You know, it's got to be good enough. Yeah, good enough. Right. And, you know, we'll fix it later or we'll adapt it later. It doesn't have to be perfect first time out. Right. And also it sets the stage for the people following you that perfection is not necessarily required. It's effort. It's um, it's taking action. I think sometimes we're just slow to move forward if we don't know exactly how to do it. Yeah, it's like, which again is interesting because – Leaders have to be willing to step forward, right? even not knowing fully mm-hmm. how it's all going to play out, mm-hmm. but living the vision. And sometimes that leads to us having to apologize or pivot or say, let's do something different. Yeah. I remember another Stephen Covey story of, of him going to his children and apologizing. Yeah. And that, that's a great leadership skill, to have right. that humility. And to see dad apologize because he blew it. How cool right. is that? And to have a boss or a parent do that, that sets a culture of, of we can try things. We don't have to be perfect and love still abounds. Because if, if the boss is you know, promoting perfection, then no one dares move Everyone's forward. Everyone's No one dares step up. Jeanette Bennett's her name. Go check out her website, Utah Valley. 360.com, utahvalley360.com. Also, you can go look for the magazines, Utah Valley Magazine, Business Q Magazine, and Prosper Magazine. Jeanette Bennett, we're going to beg her to come back regularly. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We do what we can on the program to help you be the good in the world. Up next, BYU Sports Nation. Yes, it is, folks. It is a small world, and uh, how great it is to have Spencer Linton back from BYU Sports Nation. We're going to head down there to find out what's coming up on their show. Hello, Spencer! The best nap in Disneyland happens on that ride. <laughs> you were just there. Did you get any napping time on the ride? Of course I did. Was it? Uh, is it still a small world, after all? Uh, not so much, thanks to social media, right? Yeah, now it's not, is it? How how long was the nap? Um, because is what's the ride like? Six hours? Uh, yeah, that might be the longest ride in all of Disneyland. <laughs> I kept thinking that eventually they would maybe get rid of that ride because no, there it, it's it's kind of prime. It's good real estate. It's, it's it is a staple for the Magical Kingdom. Yeah, maybe they're just going to mix it up a little bit. Maybe it's a small world, and then Kim Jong Un fires a missile near Guam. <laughs> Something like that. <laughs> yeah, no North Korean representation. I did see <laughs> Korean representation. Did you? Yeah, you would know. Yeah, you lived in Korea, with, South uh, Korea. The traditional clothing they call it the hanbok. Ooh. Uh, but uh, yeah, no specific North Korean representation. Did you have anything? Any uh, any food there? Did you guys take out a loan? Did you buy something that you could eat? <laughs> yeah. 
What was oh, your yeah. favorite food? Yes, let's see. Uh, I'm going to go through everything we ate at Disneyland. Let's see. <laughs> the caramel apple mm. churros. Oh. Ice cream from the Ghirardelli's place. Yes. Uh, the Nestle Toll House chocolate chip cookie dough sandwiches. Yes. Um, turkey leg? Did not get a turkey leg. Come on. Had a corn dog. It was Ooh. fantastic. Ooh, corn dogs are the best. Uh, that's a corn dog leg, right? On a Basically. Stick. Mm-hmm. The thing is enormous. Yummy, too. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. And, and good for you. We missed you, but you came in when I saw you. A, you look, you look tan. Oh, thank you. And taut. <laughs> tan and taut. What? I don't what know. Does, what does the taut entail, man? Just, you're, just you, you look very hard-bodied today. Oh, well, thank you. I mean, I just think you're all ready for the show. I appreciate that. Hey, in fact, uh, I just was meeting with somebody that will be doing a little magazine article on you guys next week, I think, or tomorrow. Oh, yeah. Yes. Yeah. Uh Uh-huh. You guys are big league. Nope. Hi, Matt. Oh, you're back, Jerem. Yeah, Jerem was doing important producer things. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry, there was a lighting question for the coach. They, show they've got to send the important people to do those things. Hold on. It was a lighting it. question? It was a lighting question. Wow. Yeah. You know your lighting, don't you, Darren? Sorry, sorry, I had to dip out. It was that's that's totally fine. Question. Hey, what's on your show today, guys? Uh, BYU just had an unexpected roster shakeup. Uh-oh. An announced redshirt from one of the defensive stars. What does it mean for the current state of BYU football, mm. specifically in the linebacking core, just nine days away from kickoff? Yeah, oh, it's Francis boy. Bernard, who is one of the... Better defenders for BYU. If I had to rank the best defenders on BYU's team, I would say he's the third best player. Oh, no, and he's just so redshirting. Oh, he's boy. redshirting uh, this year for personal reasons. We will discuss who will replace him and what that means for this BYU defense, what okay. it means for the season. Yeah. Plus our two-on-one with Bo Tanner, who Bo is Tanner. a 4-3 speedster on the outside for BYU. How will the Cougars use him, and what does he expect cool. this season for the, for the offense? Like it. I like it. Anything else on the show? And the greatest food at Disneyland. No. <laughs> you should. We've talked about that plenty. Yeah. No, it's good. It's, it's, it's good food. It, but you didn't have the turkey leg. No, I didn't have the turkey leg. Pineapple Dole Whip? Those are overrated in my opinion. Mm. Wrong. They're, they're <laughs> mm-hmm. You're wrong. They're really good, but the line, not, I was not willing to wait in that ridiculously long line for the pineapple Dole Whip. That's how you know. That's how you know how good it is, right? If if you're not going to wait in line, it's not that good. Well, it's just like, yeah, I don't want to wait thirty minutes. Yeah. I don't want to spend thirty minutes of my Disneyland precious time waiting for the pineapple Dole Whip. That's why you. That's why you leave one of your kids there. <laughs> you take one of your kids, you leave them in line, and then you come back about a half hour later. Oh, Jax did turn a corner as a six-year-old. Space Mountain and Splash Mountain. He Okay, he moved into manhood. Yeah. That's a big, yeah. big moment. Congrats to Jax. All right, guys, have a great show. Spencer and Jerem, they're up in about four and a half minutes on BYU Sports Nation. You're not going to want to miss it. All you got to do is stay on the dial where you are right now or uh, pull over, go in, and look up BYU Television because – then you can see how good looking these guys really are. Uh, we got a great, um, we, we got an empty news story that we got to talk about. Uh, uh, while pundits often say some of the best runners can fly, one group of competitors gathered in England's Peak District, and they really did have wings and feathers. The annual World Hen Racing Championship took place this weekend with thirty to forty hens taking part uh, for a local, uh, a little local glory. The winner's trainer was nine-year-old schoolboy Jack Alsop, 
who has a collection of racing hens. By the way, those are the hardest hens to have, by the way. He also has previously won the event in 2013, 2015, and 2016. Jack's bird cooked it, won it in a time of just under five seconds ahead of a coop mate, plucked it. Uh, anyway, crazy stories there. And uh, we also got to get to our hero story. Our hero story comes out of Spokane. A baby and his parents, along with another driver, are all recovering after a horrific crash downtown in Spokane. It happened near Sprague and Division Street just before 10 on Sunday night. The family van's was hit, van was hit by a driver witnesses claim was going 50 to 60 miles per hour. They were all injured but expected to be okay. And the big reason why is an unlikely hero. We all have a past, things that we wish we could take back. This, this person said, I've been in prison the past 17 years, Josh Tanjahal said. But a few get the opportunity for redemption. Tanjahal has been out of prison for only three months, and uh, what he did was quite heroic. He said the clock was ticking. Tanjahal had just minutes before the strictly enforced brownstone curfew that he has to do because he went to prison. Uh, And so he ended up risking his life for a six-month-old stranger. He said, I heard crying, but I didn't know where the baby was. And he said the seat had been dislodged, and he was kind of rifling through the car to get these people out of the car, and he saved their lives. So to him, Josh Tanjahal, who had made some mistakes in his past but uh, is doing what he can to make up, thank you for being the hero of the day. And that's the show, my friends. Uh, Again, we can't do it without you. We're here every Monday through Friday, 9 to noon. And our goal really is to help us all lift our lives to a higher level. And in doing so, we make the world better for everyone. That's the show. We'll be back tomorrow. BYU Sports Nation is up next.